Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's time for a new completely unnecessary podcast for Wednesday, December 16th, 2015, alongside enthusiastic Ian Ferguson. <laughs> I'd be more enthusiastic if my body would let me be. Hello. I, I'm Patrick, Pat Contry. I'm not sure why I said Patrick, but I am Patrick too. We got a lot to cover tonight. We're talking about lots of gaming topics. A couple of the big ones will be uh, Kojima Productions starting up and partnering with Sony for a PS4 and PC title, but exclusive to PS4 for consoles. Talking about a couple of uh, kick, uh, Kickstarters in the retro gaming world, uh, Pew Poll on video games, uh, Contra, NECA figures, Carmack, Super Mario 3, and there's been lots of movie trailers uh, coming out the past week, like five of them we'll talk about, or six of them. Uh, unbelievable, as well as Power, Paramount's toy movie universe that they're going to be putting together. Uh, Ian, what's going on besides you being uh, ill? <laughs> I'm ill, and uh, it's it's the holidays, so I think I'm on day, I think I'm on day twelve. I probably got about another week of this, but uh, oh, we end up working every day. Yeah, but it's fine working for the man. It's fun, pays the bills, I guess. It's your you, job. You get used to it, and uh, you know, for the most part, the customers have been pretty pretty reasonable this holiday season. So that's 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 always nice. Before we continue, we have a sponsor. We do have a sponsor. Gotta pay the bills. And now, a message from our sponsor, Embraceware. Hey guys, Jerry here from Embraceware. We're inviting anyone interested in providing us with feedback on upcoming games to email us at insiders at embraceware.com. You can also check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're at slash embraceware on each. For example, facebook.com slash embraceware. Happy holidays. Jerry, that's about the most enthusiastic I'm going to be all, I, I, I think, all podcast. So. I, think, I think he got his money worth. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm uh, the, the book, Ultimate Nintendo Guide to the NES Library, available at ultimatenes.com. There's about five days left in the Kickstarter. It's doing well. Thank you for all your support. Uh, because I'm insane and I don't feel like resting in December, I, I reformatted the entire book over the past week and a half, so it looks nicer. The font size is bigger for us uh, rapidly approaching middle age. Uh, the average font size went up half a point, uh, which is significant. It looks a lot cleaner, um, so it'll be finished up now in January, not December. But I want it to be perfect. I don't want to rush it out because um, you can't have two sets of books going out. That'll be insane. Uh, to people, if there's an error, you know, it's like it has to be bug free. The book, Ian. Yes, yes. remember, it has to be bug free. <laughs> a guaranteed bug, bug free. free. And actually, speaking of that, I do have an editor going through it and finding the copious amounts of. I don't want to say there's a lot of big errors, but there's a lot of little errors in terms of formatting, in terms of hyphenation. Um, not many run-on sentences. I took care of most of those on my first read-through, but there's there's little things here and there. Number formatting being consistent, uh, consistency with. Spelling out role-playing game versus RPG, Super Nintendo versus SNES, stuff like that, that I probably would have taken care of, but the editor pointing that out is helpful. You know, it should be SNES all the way through. 
you know, it should be RPG all the way through. Um, you know, as you mentioned the first time, you don't have to keep reminding people what an RPG is, especially in a video game book. You know, and plus it saves on space and ink. You know, the ink costs the same either way. Um, uh, this reminds me of a joke from um, Red Letter Media. Red Letter Media about why George Lucas changed Revenge of the Sith to Return of the Jedi. Uh, excuse me, Revenge of the Jedi to Return of the Jedi because he can save like $85 on ink by getting rid of one letter. <laughs> it was a funny joke that I just butchered. Uh, other than that, I'm working on an NES Punk holiday special that hopefully would have been out on Christmas last year if it wasn't for freaking uploading BS going on, but uh, I'll try to do it this year uh, by Christmas or on Christmas. Because, uh, you know, basically the, the problem with New Year's Eve is that that to me is just as important with the Italian uh, Christmas meal. Uh, it's, so that's like that starts at like three in the afternoon and goes to like midnight. So it's like the, the entire day is gone for Christmas Eve. Uh, so, yeah, so check out the Kickstarter still at ultimatenes.com. We'll be talking about a few Kickstarters during the podcast. Uh, but, Ian, we're going to nope. start with... Uh... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I was going to sort of sort of introduce that for you, but okay. Um, we're going to start with what's probably one of the bigger stories, and it actually goes back a couple of weeks. It goes back to, I think, the... Yeah, it goes back to the night of our last podcast. The night after that Thursday, I think. No, it was during. It was during it? It was during. Oh, okay. It happened during. So it was the second... Yeah, and it was the, uh, it was the video game awards and about how uh, Konami... Had uh, basically bar uh, had lawyers uh, bar um, Hideo Kojima's entrance to the event, and he was unable to accept his own award. And good on Jeff Keeley for for saying that on air because that was not planned. And good on him for doing that. We get on the Doritos Popo a lot, but but that was a gutsy move and a proper one. I think I think he kind of paid for his sins with that one, and I think oh he, has he? I th- well, I think I think that's a pretty big deal to call out a major company in front of an entire audience on a. But how's he going to pay? <laughs> well, what I'm saying is he, he he I think he atoned for his sins if that's what I'm saying. Oh, you mean he atoned by, yes. by doing that? Yes. Um, <laughs> and really, you know, portrayed Konami in the poor light that they deserve to be portrayed in. Um. And uh, Kojima was still under a a, a deal. Uh, it was, was still under contract with them. Uh, one day out of his contract uh, with Konami, Hideo Kojima has already formed a new uh, company called Kojima Productions. And uh, he's brought a lot of the um, members of his team with him from Konami. And a lot of people are excited about this. And he's already announced that he is working on a new property uh, for the PlayStation 4, uh, I believe exclusively. Now, this will probably get a PC release as well. I think it's console it'll, it'll hit, Yeah, it'll hit PC after an unspe- unspecified exclusivity mm-hmm. window. Um, to me, this makes a lot of sense for Kojima, seeing as how uh, his, his, his breakout hit, Metal Gear Solid, was largely due to uh, Sony and their willingness to push it. You know, um, and I think he feels comfortable and at home on that platform uh, with that company. Um, there was a video that showed him speaking with uh, uh, a member of uh, of, of Sony, um, a a a, a uh, uh, sorry, goddamn my head. Anyways, but they announced the partnership, and it's it, it's it's exciting a lot of people. Why? Because we have a creative force who is now free to do what he wants without worrying about Konami um, shooting down uh, ambitious, promising-looking projects is, like PT. 
It was uh, Andrew House, uh, president and global CEO of Sony, Sony Computer Enter- Entertainment. So they did a very classy sort of introduction. His video. Japanese is fucking insanely impeccable. Yeah, it was, it was really good. Talk is it, like, whoa. It, it wasn't like broken at all. If I had closed my eyes, I would not have guessed that he was not a native speaker. Yeah, and so he just Art. said that, you know, we're proud to have him here, obviously. Um, and so, I mean, there, there's a lot to, to sort of, uh, there's a lot of questions still to be answered. What's the game going to be like? You know, when's it going to come out? Uh, the good news is, yeah, he's bringing over. I mean, you can say he probably, probably almost everyone jumped ship from that was working with him before. In his with, team. Yeah. Yes. Uh, more, more, one of the most important parts that I saw uh, was that you have the uh, one of the head uh, artists, uh, Yoji Shinkawa. He was the lead artist for <clears throat> an illustrator for Metal Gear and Zone of Enders series. So he's coming on board. And if, so if you get the guy that, that basically is responsible for the look, that's like half of it right there. You've got the brains and the look. Yeah. I mean, you're well on your way to, to something promising. Um, a lot of people, I think, want this to turn into um, a, a finished form of PT of Silent Hills uh, called something that's not Silent Hills. Um, I would love to see that too, but I have a feeling that if I was in Kojima's position, I would probably want to start with a fresh slate with nothing that reminds me of my previous employer. Sure. I would love to see that idea revisited. I mean, as much as anyone, I wanted that game to come out. Norman Reedus said he wanted it out. Yeah, Uh, so did uh, Guillermo del Toro. I mean, I think everyone does, but I think Kojima will probably do something new, and I think that's absolutely okay. He'll probably, I mean, he'll probably, sort of like how Mighty Number 9 is like a Mega Man clone. I don't. I don't think he might necessarily put out a Metal Gear Solid clone, but it'll probably have to be familiar enough to fans <laughs> to want to say, "Oh, this is a property from a guy that made the franchise we loved before." It's going to have to be somewhat connected to that, I think, in order for it to be worth it for Sony to back this. Um, now, now Sony's not. It's not clear if Sony's giving monetary support. Monetary support, but they're probably offering some sort of production support if it's needed. Uh, it's a publishing deal, so there's something there. Something's there. There's going to be some money for it to be exclusive, obviously. Uh, Sony is still trying to win over this Xbox uh, One war, you know, uh, by by going after this sort of thing. So it makes sense for them to throw, throw money at Kojima. I mean, sure. having the Shenmue be exclusive is a big deal. You know, to, to a small, a much smaller extent than this, obviously. But see, I think that's, that's kind of my point. I, I agree with what you say. But I think at this point, Kojima has enough clout. I think the name means something to enough people who play games. Um, that whatever he puts out, that it doesn't it. matter. It doesn't have to look like Metal Gear Solid. The people who play those games know but who he is. What if it looks like a game that could take place in the Metal Gear Solid world? It's going to have the same art style, but you have like mechs or something, well, and look, guys fighting. You know what I mean? It'll still sell like hotcakes. This is what I'll say: It's going to be a mindfuck. That's his. That's 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 oh, yeah. his. That's his mo. I mean, all of his games have you know very very interesting, deep convoluted plots that that go in many directions. I think that's more his trademark than anything. It just for Konami, it became easy for them to say, make another Metal Gear, make another Metal Gear, and I you know I want to make be, a mobile game. No. Yeah, <laughs> no, and I, I think I think he might want to do something different. It might be refreshing for him. So with the wait and see, maybe they'll announce something. I mean, we're, we're six months ahead of E3, so maybe by E3 they'll probably have something to announce, whether it's a Kickstarter or who knows. He, he was probably doing stuff on the side while he was still employed, like, at, at his home, you know, like, drawing up ideas and stuff. Sure. You, know, you, don't, you don't form a new studio 
and have your people come over with that an idea of direction of what you're doing. It's not like, hey guys, what do we do? Start a new game? So they're going to have probably something at E3, maybe a, a teaser demo or something. Even just, you know, maybe, a minute maybe, of, of pre-alpha build. That's like those say now. Maybe we'll get another playable teaser. We'll get a PT2. <laughs> that would be funny if they just do something like that again. <laughs> They'll get they'll get some some other they'll get Norman hey get Norman Norman Reedus back there's nothing to say you could you couldn't sign on for a new game or Guillermo del Toro or, or they del were Toro. obviously onto something yeah so okay we'll see what happens I but good on Kojima and I mean Konami just being petty of course I mean they they don't want to look worse even though they did look worse by having their lawyers say to Kojima we get, we can't have you come out to the video game awards that's just petty, especially with Metal Gear Solid up for awards and stuff. It's like, why would you... I highly doubt Kojima would have accepted the award and then gone on to trash Konami. No! And plus, it would be the one saving grace Konami said, hey, you know, they could have said thanks. Konami could have said, thanks, Kojima. You you helped make us tons of money for 30 years. You know, thanks a lot. And then people were like, oh, Konami, that was nice of you. But it's like the the final sort of kick to the groin from Konami to all of us. Uh, There was an article that was alerted to me about you know, uh, vlogging, being on YouTube, and and being famous. It was called Famous and Broke on YouTube. It was off of this website I'm not really familiar with called uh, Fusion.net. Uh, Get Rich or Die Vlogging, The Sad Economics of Internet Fame, written by uh, Gabby Dunn. And then Too Liked to Fail is, is the subheading. So basically what this article sort of encapsulates is sort of the weird middling ground of what, what do you do if you are, I guess, YouTube famous or you are Instagram famous, which is a thing I'm not even totally familiar with. I know they have Instagram models and stuff. You're in that sort of middling ground where people think you're famous, recognizable, yet you're not making money off it and you're scraping by. And the article goes into uh, having to uh, lots of different angles. One of them was, you know, having to borrow money to do production work on videos. Another one was having to sell your soul, quote unquote. Uh, to, to get brand deals in order to survive doing that and then having your fans turn against you for that and then losing maybe fans because of that. So it's very, very uh, good article. Um, there's brings up vloggers in particular, and I'll talk about the difference between vlogging and other types of production in a bit. Um, but the, the, one, of the, one of the things they tried to sort of uh, talk about was the YouTube middle class, which isn't a terrible term for it, you know, just because I would consider myself sort of in that middle class if you had different classes. I'm not making enough to be rich, uh, for sure. I'm not the upper echelon, uh, uh, but I am, I am making enough to, to live off of, uh, middle class. Uh, I'm not making enough, <clears throat> you know, I'm not, I'm not making nothing, so middle class. Um, but then again, middle classes can mean anything at this point, like in our economy. Middle class means you are scraping by or you're doing a little bit better than, right. than others. Um, but there is that there is that point, and I faced it myself when I first quit my job. I would call myself, uh, you know, I, I was still recognizable going to conventions, but wasn't making any money when I quit my day job three years ago. When I quit my day job three years ago. I think I may have had, I'll look it up in particular, but I, I think I, I only had about uh, 20,000 or 25,000 subscribers I think it's, three years ago. I've, so at that point, you, you are known, you can do stuff, but you are not making money to survive. Right. Your 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 recognize your recognition in your exposure does not equate to the amount of money you are making. Sure. And and the thing about this also though is that just because you have a lot of subscribers, that doesn't mean you're making money to survive. Um, there's there's a sort of a, I, I'd say it's not. I guess it's just an ignorance of people not realizing that 
uh, and, but this goes back to advertisers too and sponsors and brand deals that just because you have a lot of subscribers doesn't mean you get a lot of views. You can have people that have a lot of subscribers and then haven't put out a video in a while. You have people that have a lot of subscribers but then put out videos that only a very, very small percentage of their of their subscribers actually will watch. Right. You know, there's a lot of different things going on. Um, so it was fascinating to see someone put it into words and talk about something I want to talk about. It's like the backlash of what happens when these people get brand deals and put them on, whether it's Instagram models, I guess, hawking makeup or shoes or clothing. Again, I'm not totally familiar, but that's what I'm picturing. And then having the fans say, oh, this was, you know, bullshit or whatever. If, if they actually point out that it was sponsored, which is the proper thing to do, or likewise, getting called out by their fans uh, saying, you're a sellout, you know, this is obviously a sponsored video, uh, blah, blah, blah. So I think what I want to talk about, though, is more that response about the expectation of being on YouTube versus uh, being an athlete or being a movie star and sort of the the much higher negative connotation there is when you're on YouTube of, of taking a sponsored or brand deal and why that's in place. And this could be a conversation that could be psychological, sociological, but I think what it boils down to, there's such a higher negative connotation uh, for YouTubers taking uh, taking money and being sponsored and having that backlash is because I think, at least on YouTube, you're seen more of in the collective more. It's like you're seen more sure. as the... Uh, Joe Joe Lunchbox versus an athlete getting sponsored by Nike or Adidas or Gatorade. You never see people go on uh, Kobe Bryant's Twitter and be like, "Oh, you sell out! You're taking money from Gatorade." Exactly. You don't, you don't see people. You don't say uh, see people going after Derek Jeter for sponsoring an SUV and being in the commercial. Or even it's just accepted that's part of what it is. I read this article the other day, and then I was in the car with Vani, and we were driving, and you know, just the radio was flipping around, and we just hit stop. And it was in the morning, and it was like a morning radio show. And as they cut, one of the the, the 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 chicks who talks on morning radio cuts into a promo. Sure. And, you know, I found it, you know, obnoxious sounding, as most radio personalities are, in my opinion. It was a sponsored but, read. But it's a sponsored read, and she's cutting into it. She's just talking about how she uses it and how she loves this shit, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So more of an endorsement. Right, but still... But you can do that, even as, as, as annoying as it is, it's still obviously something paid, and no one is going to give her crap for this. And I find it weird because that's on a lower level. That's still like that's a, that's only a local celebrity. I mean, and, and, and barely a celebrity at this in this day and age. But they don't they wouldn't get shit for something that, like that. It's it's expected. It's part. It's that was part, a radio show. You're yes, saying. it's part of radio. It's people of. And that's paying for the show, too. Yes, and people are used to it, so they don't even think twice about it, and they don't give it shit. Yet, when it's on a YouTube channel, and it's... I just don't get it when it's expressly laid out. All you are doing is listening to someone you know recite a commercial, and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. And the 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 uh, vitriol that these people get for it is it's just yeah. kind of insane. I, I think it's, it's, it's immaturity, obviously, because yeah. you have no problem with someone providing you free entertainment for, for years and years. Um, and then, okay, you look at a 15-second ad here and then a 30-second ad, but then they're trying to... If they can't eat, they can't eat, you know, for them to accept money, and then you, I think you just have to... The audience has to mature in that aspect. Obviously, you, know what you need to do? You need to get a real job. You need to get a real job. <laughs> I always love that. I always love that. You know. I, I think what it what it comes down to is that we're getting to that point where it's going to be. I mean, at this point, it's pretty much accepted um, that they're sponsored 
stuff on YouTube. Hell, on your sponsored tweets from celebrities. I think well, someone's talking about what it costs to have LeBron James tweet out your your product or site is like twenty thousand dollars just for a tweet or something sure. like that. So it's just the reality of it. But it's also interesting the article about uh, what you, you do when you break through or try to break through can come back and, and bite you in terms of you, what you're doing to get the uh, to get those clicks. Like th- there was something about um, the YouTuber uh, Nicole Arbor did the dear uh, dear fat people. Uh, a video that got a ton of millions of views, but then uh, sponsor backlash, fan backlash from that. But there's been argument to be made that if she doesn't do that video to get those clicks, she'll stay, you know, irrelevant or no one will know who she is. So there's all these risks you take when you're on YouTube. You're a vlogger, and being a vlogger is different always than than doing even a podcast or doing uh, produce videos. Because when you are vlogging, once you put out that content, it's gone. It dissipates, and it's much harder to sort of translate over from being a vlogger to anything else, because you're talking usually, "Hey guys," you're talking to the camera, and that's it. Um, so there's something to be said to, for that. I think that sort of micro niche market, which is what a lot of YouTubers start as, is vloggers and then go off. Some make it, but obviously the majority don't. Yeah, you know, it's just the sad reality of it. Um, not sure what else I can say about that, but it's it's a, it's complicated being on YouTube. Is sort of it's not cut and dry. It's not easy. There there are hard decisions to be made. There are uh, obviously ethical uh, decisions you have to make of things you want to sponsor. I've turned down sponsorships because um, there was one. It was fairly recent. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but they basically didn't want me to say it was sponsored. It was like a, a game promotion. Oh, just say yo, I like enjoying it, and you know, make it natural. And it's like you have to s- disclose it somewhere that. It's, I'm not just bringing this up for the hell of it, right? You know, I'm not going to be talking about a mobile game, having never talked about a mobile game before. If that's the case, I will put somewhere that it I was it was promo consideration or sponsorship for this. So I'm not just being a total, you know. Either way, I'll still get backlash for any sort of a sponsored brand deal that I, I've done, and I haven't done anything really besides the uh, the 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 uh, uh, loot crate thing. And of course, there was bigger backlash at that beginning, but it sort of dissipated. But you know. What are you going to do? People get to see Frank and me open up stuff. <laughs> Anything else on this? <laughs> no, Besides I just think call? it. I just think it's um, you know, it's you know, people talk about internet fame and internet celebrity, and it it does not, it does not equal, it doesn't equal money. Oh no, there's great. There's a great uh, anecdote about people being recognized in their day job and then being embarrassed for being like a waiter. Or, or working at, I think there was one like working at like at a, like SeaWorld or something and being recognized. Like, oh, it's, it's you from the internet. Oh. It's like, yeah, I'm doing my day job. And I mean, it was even funny because it was like two weeks ago someone came in and I don't even do internet shit besides this, really. And, uh, you know, there was a person and, and he was really nice, but he was just like, I don't know, he was just like, it was like watching an animal in the zoo. Like, it was just so weird to him to see me doing menial tasks like behind the counter. It's like, yeah, dude, I, I I have to have a real job. <laughs> like this is me. I even told him. I mean, because we were joking and laughing. He was nice. I'm like, dude, I I live paycheck to paycheck. I'm like, just because you know me and you think this is interesting to like see me, like, well, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm, it's not like I'm making a shitload. Well, this the podcast helps out. I didn't say it didn't. <laughs> so, on to the next. We'll talk about uh, Nintendo and uh, basically the last uh, Smash Direct. And um, 
the characters that were, you know, announced, and everyone knew that Cloud was coming, but the final characters were uh, Cloud, uh, Corinne, which I believe is another Fire Emblem character, because why not throw another fucking Fire Emblem character in there? And uh, Bayonetta is the last announced character, and I think that's awesome. Um, I like Bayonetta. Uh, I think it's an interesting mix. I think when you look at the overall board of the final Smash Brothers Wii U game, you see something that I don't think any Nintendo or any video game fan would have ever in a million years imagined to have seen. You have Mega Man, you have Sonic, Pac-Man. you have Pac-Man, yeah. you have Ryu, you have Cloud, you have Bayonetta. I mean, you just have all of these people from all of you know all over in one yeah. place on a Nintendo console. You, you had uh, you had Solid Snake last time. Yeah, we didn't come back, but you had him. Um, now, the, some people are a little upset about it. Uh, whatever. I mean, you can't please everyone all the time. I think she's a perfectly fine choice. What are they upset about? Well, I'm, I'm getting there. Um, I think she's a perfectly fine choice. I think it's a great thank you to Platinum Games, who gave oh, yeah. Wii U a very great exclusive. Um, one, of the, one of the only successful third-party Nintendo games the past ten years, right? How I mean, many are there? You count them on one hand. But I mean, <laughs> you know? I, I, by all means, you know, I mean, get her in there. I mean, she, she's, she is synonymous with the Wii U at this point because it was the only system Part 2 ever came out on. Um, the reason why is because they did that whole poll and they said that she was the number one uh, pick uh, worldwide uh, to be in the game. Okay. And a lot of people are crying foul. Um, what, was, what do you think that was? I don't know. Um, and I'm not even sure why people are crying foul, because to my knowledge, I don't think Nintendo released that many official rankings of what was going on. People saying she was never even in the top five and, and, and stuff like that. But at the same point in time, who knows what number one was. Maybe number one wasn't feasible due to certain yeah. copyrights and things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if your top five is all pie-in-the-sky stuff, but your sixth or seventh is Bayonetta, and they've got a good working relationship with Platinum Games... Then that's gonna be yeah. your, that's gonna be your true number one. Um, I don't know. I think it's a very cool addition to the game, and I'm, I'm I'm happy to see it because, you know, to read what they say that she's gonna be combo heavy and stuff like that. Uh, you know, you got Cloud, you've got Ryu. You're adding people to the game that really play differently than other Smash characters. <sighs> Nintendo has to walk a line here because obviously. They put out a poll, so they want people's opinion. But, like you said, <laughs> if number one is some character, if it's a Sony character, Master Chief is not going to be in a Smash Brothers game. You know, so maybe to them it's like, well, this is the number one choice that we could actually put in our game. You know what I mean? Like, maybe they're thinking about that. Maybe that's how they should have phrased it. Obviously, Danny Sullivan can't make it in. Well, he's, he's too much money. But, but maybe it's someone else... <laughs> that they can put in the game is number one, then maybe it's a it's a white lie then, you know. I know uh, a lot of people wanted, like, a Gino from Super Mario RPG, but they've already got a square representative character in there. Um, and there's a couple other ones. I know people, a lot of people wanted, um... They wanted another Earthbound character, but there's already two in there. And yes, I know they put, like, five Fire Emblem characters in there, but... Maybe, other than Fire Emblem, Nintendo wanted to diversify a bit. Maybe they wanted to reach out to different third parties and get a bigger third-party representation. 
maybe this is something they're doing to try to get third parties interested or, or, or you know, continuing to keep certain third parties interested in developing for their systems. That's a good strategy. Oh, well, didn't Gino get an outfit in or a costume? Gino got a, 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 me, a me character costume. That's pretty though. cool just to do that, just to throw it in. I think all the costumes uh, are dumb. I really wanted a Splatoon how, character, frankly, but I'm not going to cry about it. How much do all these characters cost? Uh, they're like five ninety nine each. Uh, five ninety nine each or six ninety nine to get them both on Wii U and 3DS. Ugh, I don't like doing that, but okay. Maybe it was like eight bucks for all of them. I don't understand it's a, doing a whole new character, but um, yeah, it's a good point about yeah. You can have publishers. I mean, there and X comes out. Hopefully, that's powerful enough that it could attract more third party publishers. And yeah, that could be sort of a how many third party publishers wouldn't want their character potentially in the next Smash Brothers. That's right. a, and that's, that's like I said, I think that, that, that's it. Like, I think ever, I, I think a lot of people wanted uh, a Splatoon inkling in there. And I did. I definitely did. But, mm. you know, if you... I mean, honestly, that's pretty much a shoe-in for the next Smash. Yeah, it's a little too so, new, I'd say. So, why not, why not keep you, some of your third parties happy? Yeah, I think the... It's too new, Splatoon, for to, to then to shove it into this one. It came out earlier this year. And then, honestly, they'd probably need more time to think of it and do it. Like, what is it going to be? Just shooting everything? <coughs> just shot, shot, shot. But yeah, give it the next one. They'll think of something probably that'll work. They'll probably need more time in order to hash that out for something like that. But, um, so yeah. Um, and we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe you'll get a, I don't know. You're, you're, we'll see what happens in, what, four years when the next one comes out. With every four or five years, basically, at this point, uh, for uh, Smash Brothers. Oh, this is interesting. Um, well, I'm going to run this down. We can get into some of the ins and outs of this and see if we piss off or not. Uh, Pew, one of the most uh, famous polling sort of uh, data centers. They they, they poll around the, all around the world. Released their latest video game survey find, which they come out every, every few years. Um, the one that they were focusing on, at least in this article, was that um, men and women report that they play video games basically equally at 50 and 48%. That was the big one. And this was a survey of 2,000 adults this summer, which is a pretty good sample size, uh, if you know about statistics. 2,000, that's pretty pretty respectable for a sample size. Um, men, though, were more than twice as likely at 15% than women at 6% to call themselves quote-unquote gamers, to identify as a gamer. Which is interesting. Goes back to our conversation about a month or two back about identifying as a gamer versus not. Right. Um, survey also found that sixty percent of adults believe that most people who play video games are men. So slightly more than the ones that said they play video games, and that included fifty-seven percent of women who themselves said they play games. It, that's very interesting. So there is sort of this still this this um, more not a stereotype, but a leaning or skewing that men play video games more than women, right. which we'll get into if that's true or not. Um, and then 33% of 18 to 29-year-olds said that the term quote-unquote gamer was an apt one to describe them. Three times more likely than women of that age group, only 9% who said the same. That's that's pretty significant. Um, and there's a lot more. We can run down some of these. But I think it's interesting. But you, you got to remember this, there's, there's, there's lies, there's damn lies, and there's statistics, one of my favorite quotes ever. Because you really have to drill down and, and look at what these terms mean. And what they mean in terms of the gaming market. And one of the biggest, uh, not problems, but one of the sort of, I guess, shortcomings of a study like that is it doesn't ask people, you know, what platforms they game on. What do they actually game sure. on? I think if you drill down, 
you would see a lot more stark differences between men and women, for better or for worse. Um, because in terms of like gaming, everyone has a phone at this point. Almost everyone has a game on their phone they play. It's just cool. It's convenient. Whether it's uh, a strategy game, whether it's tower defense, whether it's uh, you know, all those Jesus commercials, uh, uh, game of war, or just Candy Crush. Everyone plays video games. Right. It's older people play video games on their on their phones. It's, everyone does it. It's something to pass the time, whether you're on the train, on the toilet, or both at the same time. You know. So that's interesting to me. Yeah, the definition I think of of playing games it, it, that's too loose. I think they. A study of like this would have benefited from, I think, tighter, tighter definitions, and maybe it had that. But this 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 article does not state what those definitions mm-hmm. were. Um, you know, does does do you play games? Does that incorporate a uh, you know a certain number of hours a week that you play? You know, what 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 like you said, what platforms do you play on? Now, I have been hearing for a couple of years through other studies, and I and I can't source them now that. It is just about equal. I mean, this is not the first time that I've heard that the, mm-hmm. the number of women who play games is just about equal to men. And this is something that I've heard in the past three to four years on a number of occasions. But I, it's, it's never with a fully disclosed... Um, what's the word I'm looking Jesus Christ. Drill down of the data? Yeah, like, what's the questionnaire? Yeah. What, what, what's, what's going into it? Yeah, do they check any of them? So say the questions, and this goes back to my small statistical background, it, it could be a catch-all, it could be like, do you, pl- do you play games on your, on, on like, whatever, at this point, you can say like, oh, your Amazon Fire or whatever, on your tablet, on your phone, PC, console, it'll be like PS4 or PS3 or Wii or Wii U. So it could be, the, it can be that if you just checked one of those, you're a gamer, and that's it, and then you get put in that pile of you're a gamer without breaking down the data from there. Depends on how the questions were phrased and what what the choices were. It's very important when you're looking at any study like this. Not to say that it's not important that uh, women play games just as much as men. It's just in terms of the market, though. What's the market share and where is that market share? AAA titles, I would not go on a, on a big limb and say AAA titles are still probably going to be predominantly men. Uh, you talk about Call of Duty franchises. You're talking about uh, Madden. You're talking about sports titles. You're gonna, your majority will probably be men that are purchasing those and playing those. I don't think that's going out in a big limb uh, with that. I think it just depends on the type of title. Let me put it, I'll, I'll phrase it this way. You might not be wrong about that, but I, I think in terms of console gaming, I think if we eliminate the mobile market entirely, and I think if you just look at console gaming, and I just take my very small corner of the United States, and I look at what people come in and buy and play... I think it's pretty safe to say that 40, it's 40-60. Maybe not 50-50, but 40-60. On AAA titles in general? Just various big-name titles for... I'm talking about the big money makers. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the, the Madden franchises, Call of Duty, the um, uh, GTA V. I'm talking about the ones that... These are the money movers. Sure, I guess it depends on... Like, for instance, I almost feel like at this point I, I, I sell more um, RPGs to women than I do men. But on the other hand, yeah, if I'm selling a sports title or a Call of Duty... It's probably eighty-five percent of the time it's to a guy, and that's and that's the importance of this. Just because, um, if if you cannot you cannot use statistics to sort of nudge the market in the direction you want to go, whether it's whether it's a, a political point or a social point, you have to understand where where these where where this takes place. The gaming, I think, that's important. Obviously, 
obviously it's still important that uh, there's an equal amount of gaming, but it's just if they're doing it in different areas, then it, it doesn't say as much as you would want it to. Basically, you don't point. get any fucking usable marketing yeah. data out of this. You know, you get nothing. And then that, that's not what this is for. Pew doesn't usually care about it. Pew just does the study, and then you know the, <laughs> the results can probably be sold from there anywhere else. We don't get any social data out of this. No. All we get is a number. And yes, it does show that gaming in general, because who doesn't fucking like fun, is going to be no. about this. Is going to, to be about. To me, this is equal. the same. To me, this is the same as. Do you enjoy watching movies? Half the people say yes that are women, and half are men. You know, what I mean, like that to me is the same thing. There's some people that don't like movies, believe it or not. So the, same, I, the same way there's people that don't like to read. You know, there's not not you don't necessarily have to like it all the time. You know, different different parts of it. All right, so why are we talking about this anymore? It's it's dumb. This, it's this, not dumb. I just think be be careful. I'm just saying out there. Be careful when you see stuff like this. Okay, this is a cautionary it's tale. It's a cautionary okay, tale. Great. We're moving. We, we, I mean, we, I mean we, we can talk about the 40 percent are unsure if most video games portray women poorly. You know, there's stuff like that in here too. That's interesting. Um, you know, point by point, but. Yeah, but those numbers are so low and so much of it is undecided that I don't think it really says anything either because there's the race question, there's the women question. I don't think that this study really shows much of a goddamn thing. You in the comments decide the answer. Dick, <laughs> go check out that poll and tell me if you get anything from it. We discussed the Dragon's Lair Kickstarter um, about a month ago uh, and, and how it wasn't reaching its goal and why. It was what they wanted to raise, was it 550000 Uh yeah. It was a bit. It was a bit. A bit of money, and it was to do a pitch video, like a 10-minute pitch video. Um, I think it was a half a mil, something like that. It was, I think it was over half a mil. Didn't reach the goal. They canceled it, and they went back. They went to Indiegogo, because one of the reasons why in Indiegogo you can do flexible uh, flexible goal, meaning you keep the money no matter what, if, whether or not you reach your goal. Right. So they funded it at 250000 Uh To their credit, uh, Bluth and Company were a little bit more upfront about the funding. In terms of it being, this is for a pitch video. We're not making a 90-minute theatrical animated movie off of this. That'd be insane to think you could do that. Um, so they raised their 250000 on Indiegogo. However, they adjusted it from a 10-minute pitch video down to a 4-minute pitch video. Which is fine, because they asked for less money. Right. And it makes sense. Uh, one thing to be careful about, and this was a little more clear this time, is what, what does that pitch video entail? The pitch video is not... All four minutes animation. of classical animation. They disclose that it's one minute classical animation, and then the, last, the other three minutes will probably be just like still sketches and mock-ups of different scenes that, you know, because this is, this is a pitch video to pitch to studios to fund the what were they asking for? 75 million 70, 70, yeah. to, do the, to do a full, you know, 90 minute Dragon's Lair animated movie. So, um... Yeah, it it passes goal. That's great, uh, but I unfortunately I think this is where the journey ends. Like I don't think much is going to change. They're going to get the pitch video. Um, they're gonna they're gonna shop it out to to people. But it's just yeah. Don't don't see seventy five million being raised. Though I just don't see it. Uh, I don't either. And it's actually, seventy million. Seventy. Yeah, I thought it was seventy. I, and I don't. I don't know that I see it happening, which is sad because. Um, I love classical animation, and and more than classical animation, I I love Don Bluth's animation. Not all of his movies were good. By to be fairly honest, a lot of them were crap. But uh, all dolls go to heaven wasn't good. I said I didn't say all of them were bad. <laughs> I liked I liked I liked plenty, especially Secret of Nim, First Land Before Time. Um, but 
there's a reason why Disney doesn't do it anymore. I don't think people see the money in it anymore. I think you would. I think it's a much bigger risk. To seventy-five mil, a seventy-five, a seventy million budget. That means that movie has to do one hundred and forty. Well, that's just to break even. Just that to break even. It'll have to do 250, 300 or to be yes. worth their time. That's absolutely insane. I mean, I'll go see it. I, I will go see it day one to go watch classical Don Bluth animation. I, I would go. I would. I would be first in line. But I'm. I'm not in the majority there. I don't think. I think that the time of that is past, and it sucks. And but this is a pie in the sky dream. Uh, one of the complaints I saw. In terms of where we are in this day and age, is that would audiences want to see the typical princess damsel in distress uh, on screen in 2000, whatever this would be, 16 or 17, if it get made? Would there be not necessarily a backlash, but just a disinterest in that in general to see if it was? A, I mean, if it was a straight, straight adaptation of a obviously highly sexualized uh, princess, um, which I, I personally, if, if there's an audience, there's an audience, but. Would there be an audience again? This is the thing I spoke about. This isn't for kids. If you're, if you're, if you're, they would uh, have to make it for kids. Her nipples pop out three inches. Yes, I mean, I it's know. not for kids. Well, they would have to make it for kids. They would obviously have to make it for kids for this to have any chance of succeeding in any way, shape, or form. This would have to be a PG at best because you're not going to make a PG-13 animated movie and make anywhere close to what the budget was to begin with. It would have to be something <laughs> that people felt like they could take their kids to see. It would have to be. And it's fitting because he worked on it. It would have to be. It would. It would have to be. I mean, you could make it kind of dark. You could make it kind of scary. You just couldn't oversexualize it. It would have to be like um, uh, Sleeping Beauty, which he's. I mean, which he's well, well known for. When that was when he had his brief time at Disney. And that's one of the darkest Disney anime. It's very, very dark. Um, so like that would have. To, I mean, it would have to be. Along those lines, um, and I never expected this. If this was to f- actually come to fruition, <laughs> I never expected this to be a straight adaptation of of the you know the Playboy modeled um, you know Daphne in distress sort of movie. Uh, but I still, I just don't. I, I don't even see like a Disney style version well, of, of Dragon Slayer doing it. One of the storyboards and people were getting on. A little bit about this. It's on the it's on the in the Yoga page. One of these storyboards, if you pledge for the Super Collector, set of ten original story sketches from Dragon's Lair, the movie pitch presentation, and one of them are two boys, teenagers, leaning over and looking at some sort of teenage blonde girl in a tub, and you can see her bare ass in in this picture. All right. So I think what you just said is out the window. Yeah. This would be a PG-13 sort of movie. Then again, I'm not sure. I don't know if audiences are ready for Then again, I guess Angelina Jolie, you did see her CG animated ass in Beowulf, I think, as as the, uh, as, uh, as the what was it, the, the, the sea creature or whatever. I don't, but that was very violent movie. So maybe it could work. I think Beowulf did okay business, but this this looks like a Disney movie, though, so people, I don't think people would be ready for... Yeah, Beowulf mo- wasn't classical animation. Exactly. People would be like, whoa, I'm used to seeing Little Mermaid. Now I'm seeing... Is that proper? I'm trying to see. I hope, is that, I hope it's on underage, blonde anime. <laughs> right. Well, then what... What, 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 what? What I suggest that it would need to work is obviously not what they're That's not what this. they're doing. Which, again, that's they can do whatever they want, but is there a market for it? No. You know, oh, they have, they, they reached their goal, but 
But obviously, it's it's less than four thousand people, and you're not gonna make a movie. Four thousand movie tickets is that's not gonna no. that's not gonna move the needle. Four thousand and one. Four thousand and one. Even even though there's there's still thirty days left. Uh, excuse me, there's sixteen days left. So they're gonna they're gonna gain a little more, but probably not that much here. But so all right, well. I just hope they release that one minute of animation for us to see. I'll be happy with that. Frankly. That would be cool. Yeah. And sp- speaking of uh, Indiegogo campaigns... I'm going to need you to really take the lead on this one because I don't know what's going on. This was a late addition to the CU Podcast docket. <sighs> and I, I watched the eight-minute pitch video. I read it. And I'm going to try not to step on too many toes. This just started two days ago. We recorded this on the 16th, so it started on the 14th. It's the Twin Galaxies hashtag right to game campaign. Growing a platform that promotes the benefits of gaming and recognizing our collective right to game hashtag. It's run by Jace Hall. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Does anyone think that we don't have the right to game? We'll get to that. Okay, thanks. It's run by Jace Hall, which is a name I've heard pop up, I believe, in like... um I don't know, radio circles or in reality shows, and I believe he's been involved with game development in different aspects. But apparently he must have either bought or is part of some sort of a conglomerate that owns Twin Galaxies. I know Twin Galaxies was sold within the past two two to three years. Uh, there was a minor upheaval. I think it was, it was offline for like months and months at a time. I believe it was last year. Uh, but someone will correct me. I'm not up in my Twin Galaxies. It wasn't exactly a site that I went to a lot. But what we have here is a campaign that has involved with it in order to raise awareness that Avid Gaming is a... This is from their campaign. That Avid Gaming is a worthwhile, socially acceptable, and important activity that's deserving of more understanding and support. This is the mission of this Indiegogo campaign. Because, so, hold on, if you back up, you have likely encountered the pervasive negative notion that people who play video games are wasting their time and should be doing something more productive instead. Is this 1989? 1992? So, their mission in these funds, they're trying to raise a quarter of a million dollars. <coughs> the mission is going towards a new social media website platform module with, with features tailored exclusively for video game players to get greater recognition and exposure. Instead of using, I don't know, Twitter for that, or Facebook, or YouTube. A mobile app to increase access, participation, and mobile game recognition within the Twin Galaxy system. Live-streamed events, programs, and competitions broadcasted through our media network, Twin Galaxies Live, at tglive.com. So, if you look at the goals, like where the money's going towards, you look at, you know, most of it's going towards... Here's the breakdown. So, most of it's going... 25% of $2,050... Uh, uh, do the math real quick. What is that? Uh, 75,000, something like that. Is that 25%? A little less. I can't do math right now. 50, 60%, 62, 62.5%. Uh, we, dollars. Const- we constantly make ourselves look bad. I know. Doing math. 60, it's 60,000 and change <laughs> is going towards a social media platform. 15% is going towards a website. 20% is going towards the TG, the TG mobile experience. Uh, isn't TG Mobile, is that a cell phone carrier? It doesn't exist anymore. Um, and then 15% towards, per, whatever. And then 12% towards the, the network. So we're talking 32 plus 25 is 57 plus 15 is 70% or so is going towards basically funding their website and an app and their business. 
That's what I'm getting from this. Under the guise of it being to support gamers' right to game since we are oppressed or downtrodden or don't have rights that I don't know about. It's a really strange campaign. I'm trying to not totally just squash this as an awful idea, but what's strange is that besides uh, they got Ed Boone, uh, who was at Midway, you know, Mortal Kombat, NBA Jam, things like that. He's a supporter. The other big names involved, besides Jace Hall himself, who's the one running this campaign, Stan Lee, ex-NBA Laker, Rick Fox. $1,500,000 if you donate, plus shipping. You have to pay shipping on that. We'll get you Rick Fox's three NBA championship rings from 2000. I'll get to that. Jamie, The lovely Jamie Lee Curtis. I do love her. Christopher Guest and Randy Jackson, who used to be on, or maybe still is on American Idol are backing this video game right-to-game campaign. Now, I'm not familiar with what they do in their personal time, besides we know Ed Boone's involved with video games, but I don't know anyone else that's involved with this has anything to do with video games at all. Jamie Lee Curtis loves games. She loves games. Yes, she does. She does. She goes to tournaments with her son. Cool. And plays. That's cool. So Jamie Lee Curtis, though, knows that these tournaments exist and that it's widely accepted to be a gamer. Her son's not getting beat up at school for being a video gamer. They're not downtrodden. So what the hell is going on with this campaign? What? So some of the perks involved. You mentioned 1.5 million, 1.5 million plus shipping to get Rick Fox's three NBA championship rings from 2000, 2001, 2002. <laughs> it's really strange. The <coughs> For for one hundred thousand dollars, I'm tempted to get this the black dress that Jamie Lee Curtis wore in True Lies when she did her tri- striptease. If I had the money, I I would I think just just put it in a blender and drink it. <laughs> get that power from that. Anyway, that was that was a little strange. Um, so you have these celebrities offering this stuff. I can't picture being an NBA player and giving up my rings for anything. At all. I mean, that's what you worked your whole life to get. For $1.5 million, I have to ask, what are these people getting? What are these celebrities getting out of this? They have to be getting something. Uh, are they friends with Jace Hall and doing him a favor? For him to have rounded up this collection of getting Stan Lee. Christopher Guest is is giving up his shoes he wore from... This is Spinal Tap in 80, what, 82, that yeah. was, I think? I'm just... I, I'm. I'm really, maybe someone can shed light on this for me and Ian, but this is literally something I couldn't wrap my head around even seeing the eight-minute pitch video and then going through okay. this. Yeah, I mean, after looking at all of it and, and watching it um, and laughing at some of it, yes, I'm not trying to be a dick, but I do need someone to explain this better than they are because this is what it looks like to me. Twin Galaxies wants to create a new website social that is app. heavily social. Mm-hmm. With an integrated mobile app. And that's exactly what they want to do. Yet they are covering it all in celebrities that have minor connections to gaming. uh, And a whole lot of words about how gamers are oppressed and they need to not be oppressed anymore. None of it it fucking makes any sense. And even if that was true, though. Even if we were somehow in some sort of weird age where... 
uh, YouTube the videos on YouTube the biggest uh, ones being viewed weren't video game related. <laughs> where Twitch wasn't a uh, phenomenon of a website. Where um, esports isn't being shown on freaking ESPN. Even if we weren't in that in that world now, which obviously we are, would a Twin Galaxies website and a social app somehow change that perception? That we are nasty people because we like video games. Right, because that's the one thing that it doesn't explain anywhere, is how this is going to change anyone's right to games. Would, would it be like... I have a feeling this is thinking like it's 1994 again, and they're providing a chat room or IRC uh, channel, for, but on a larger scale for uh, us to connect with each other. It's a place for like-minded gamers together, and, even though there are already 500 million places There's to do that. Twitter, there's... Website forums. There's Facebook groups you can create. There's already de dedicated places. There's that conventions do this. you go to that we go to. I go to several a year where no one's getting called out on for liking video games, new or old. It's it's widely accepted. We just talked about the survey where half of men and women say I play video games, and it's, it might be more than that. Who knows? So the other thing, I'll just say this: I'm not trying to cast aspersions, but. They've raised seventy-eight thousand. They've raised seventy-eight thousand in two days. However, ninety-five percent of that money comes from th three different people: two anonymous donations at thirty-five thousand dollars each, and one anonymous donation at five thousand dollars. If you didn't have that, this would have raised three thousand dollars in two days out of a two hundred fifty thousand dollar goal, and obviously that wasn't wasn't going to get it done. So where who's giving that money and why? That's all I want to know. Is it one of the people? Is it Stan Lee giving out some money? Is it Ed Boone? Is it Rick Fox who can give away his rings for nothing? I, I, I just out of the goodness of his heart, it's I just I just want answers. I just I just want to know. It's it's, it's not even I'm not even not even answers because this could be something bad. I just I'm so bizarrely curious about what this is. Me too. I just want to know what this is and. I'm really hoping it's not as um, transparent as as what it looks like right this. Oh, we can get a private dinner with four with Jace, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Rick Fox, included with $1.5 for the rings. I, you want to go in? Yeah, let's we, do this. Let's do a Kickstarter to raise the money so we can back this this one. <laughs> I think there's something to that. It's like it's like Kickstarter Inception. Mm. Kickstarter Inception. All right, moving on. This article has a lot of non-information. So, <laughs> wait, wait, excite everyone. Yeah, sorry. So, <laughs> Nintendo is in, in 2016. Nintendo is really going to move their uh, smartphone game initiative forward. Um, the first announced game is uh, Miitomo, which is going to be a game that lets you use your Mi, and it's going to be like a, a little social app. It appears. Uh, and they say that they're going to have five games done by 2017. And what? Reggie is saying here is that good old Reggie Fizume. Yeah, uh, what, what, what Reggie is saying here is that um, these games are going to feel different, um, and it, it's I don't know why he's he's he, he even feels like he needs to come out and say that because of course a mobile a, a mobile game is going to feel different than a game on a console. That's exactly why so many people who play games don't necessarily use mobile platforms as their only platform. They use consoles, they use dedicated portable handhelds. Um, 
And I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Now they they he, they want them to tie into the um, the new Club Nintendo, which is Mind Nintendo. Mind Nintendo. Um, which I think is going to be interesting. I have a feeling that what we're going to see are games that are going to interact in Street Pass, similar to like a 3DS. But on a phone. But on a phone. If you have the, maybe if you have the program if you, open. If you, if you have a certain program open, you may be able to do That's that. That's not a terrible idea. Um, and it could be very interesting. Drain your phone. I, I don't want um, my games by Nintendo on a smartphone to feel like... Nintendo games because that's why I buy a 3DS. That's why I have a Wii U. Uh, the thing is, is it, it's weird though because when Mitomo was re- was announced, all of these gamers there was backlash because there was going to be in-app purchases and it looked like a shitty you know uh, you know casual game. Yet these are the same people who said they didn't want to see pe- games like Mario and Zelda and stuff on phones. So. What do you, it, yeah. what do you want? You can't so, have it both ways. I, I think that's mm. what Reggie is coming out and saying. I think I, I think after seeing that, he's he's warning. Yeah, you're not. Don't worry about it. We're gonna keep your your favorite. You know yeah. your your more core Nintendo games like Mario and Zelda. We're gonna keep them what they are, and what you get from us on a smartphone is gonna be different. And I, I think it's just to kind of like get everyone's expectations into check. Because it, it, it's very strange to me that, that that was the sort of reaction we got from people when yeah. Mitomo was announced. What did you expect? Yeah, I I think people were a little naive if they thought that Nintendo was going to like put like uh, old NES games on a cell phone. They were never going to do that. No. They'd be, first of all, they'd be awful to play. Well, no one wanted that either. Um, that was my point. And plus, they got to protect they got to protect their their um their their, 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 their eShop sales. Because they're all for sale on there. Well, they have to protect you know, the brand. The, protect, the, protect the brand. The brand quality. If you sure. put if you put out a shit port of Mario, that does damage to yes. people who are not familiar. Now, I would say though that I would not be shocked if down the road, not saying this is going to happen, but I wouldn't be shocked if you got, say, a popular, you know, some of the most popular type of games on on your phone are like Candy Crush style games, okay. tower defense games, Game of War strategy games. No, I'm absolutely. not saying you couldn't integrate that with Nintendo properties. And have them be successful. No, I, I, and I expect that to fully happen. I'm just saying, like, you're not going to get... I don't think you're going to get a full-fledged Nintendo experience. I think that's I think that's what he's saying. You're probably going to get something like a Doodle Jump clone with Mario or something you, on it. If you got, like, a real-time strategy game on your mobile phone... <laughs> are they real-time? I don't know if Game Wars is even real-time or turn-based. That shows how much I know. I'm guessing it's real-time. Um What if you did, like, Mushroom Kingdom Wars against... That would be all. Aw- that would be cool. That'd be fun. Because you're probably not going to get that on a console. It'd be cute, at least. You're not going to get it on a console. Why not get... How about I have my Bowser... Think of, like, Warcraft on my phone, but you have Bowser Kingdom, you know, Bowser's the bad guys versus the Mushroom guys going at it. That could be fun. Who cares? It's a dollar ninety-nine, or it's free, and I, 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 I uh, spend real money to get coins. It, it, it's not like you're going to be forced to buy that game. They've already put Puzzle and Dragons on the 3DS, which is a... Which, is, which was paid and you got everything on the 3DS, but it's free-to-play on the phone. Why not just go ahead and do a full-on yeah. free-to-play version of it for, for with Nintendo characters for the yeah. uh, the phone? I mean, I've, that's probably what I, they're going to do. I think people have to remember that without this software, Nintendo's dead. Without their software. Yes. They can't put out hardware without their first-party software. So they, they're going to be very protective. If they just That's for re- one of the reasons why, for so many years, they said there's not going to be any Nintendo games on, on smart devices. They said that forever, and then they said, okay, we changed our mind. I think because they finally found a way to do it smartly and came up with a good plan. Right. And they're not going to just throw out... They're not going to just throw out, all right, our first game is going to be a Flappy Bird clone, but we're going to put, uh, 
you know, Birdo on it or something. You know what I mean? Like that, they could do that and make a ton of money, but it would damage them long term. Right. They realize that. Yes. They could put out uh, a Game of War sponsored. This Game of War skin is just Nintendo. They could do that in a heartbeat and get millions uh, for that, but they realize that's not smart over the long. I haul. wouldn't be surprised to see many games they do involve me integration because that's not going to hurt their brand. A me is just a me. That's all it is. It's an avatar. Um, it's a me. <laughs> And I wouldn't be surprised to see original characters for their phone games to kind of separate their phone games from Nintendo games. Mm -hmm. And then if it's a success for them, yes, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw them integrate certain key characters into, you know, simplified versions of certain types of games or that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I hadn't even thought about that before until I said it, but I I don't know. I think that would actually be very smart of Nintendo to create some... Whether I mean something simple, something cutesy, something appealing, some original characters for their 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 phone games that kind of keep yeah. them separate mm-hmm. from their console games. Yeah, I was going to say that. What if they come up with a cool idea and then eventually it gets popping up? They put on a console, right? New IP. So they're going to do five smartphone slash tablet games between now and March 2017. So we're talking year and a half, five games. It's not a huge amount when you think about that for the mobile market to put out. They've been working on them, obviously. So. We'll see what happens. I mean, we'll have that weird, weird ass uh, Pokemon one out by then too. We never, we never discussed that one. Oh. That was announced. That's bizarre. We'll get to that later. AR Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what I want to see when I'm on vacation. People looking for Pokemons or looking at the the pyramids, uh, Giza. Someone's you know. staring at your crotch because there's, <laughs> there's a yeah, there's, there's, there's a Charmander there. There's a Bulbasaur yeah. coming down there. <laughs> when, I, when I'm looking at the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Anyway, so NECA. For it's been only a year and a half, they've been doing. They started with the first one at Comic Con. Uh, no, it was two years ago, 2013. Yeah, 2000. It's been two years. Comic Con 2013. They put out an exclusive NECA. They they do toys. Um, they do uh, movie licenses, uh, for the most part. Uh, they put out an exclusive Friday the 13th, uh, NES figure exclusive to Comic Con. I bought a few to give out one in the marathon. I gave one to James. I kept one, um, somewhere over there, and then it did very well. It's one. It, it's one that got scalped. Big surprise. But then after that, they did a lot more. They've done about four or five a year. Freddy, Rocky. Fr- Freddy was right afterwards. Um, Rocky. RoboCop. Uh, they did Predator. RoboCop. Batman. Batman. The thing with these NECA figures though is that they the box looks like the NES boxes, and they they redo the colors. Now they reused. Um, they had the molds to all these before, so it wasn't a huge amount of cost, and they had the molds to Sylvester Stallone's to do a Rambo or Rocky from Sega Master System. Uh, to do Batman, though, I think that was an original mold, so I might correct yeah, me. Yeah, we're not. The sure Batman mold, that. I think, was an original one, and that's all purple, and it's cool. So these are available online, and also they're also available at Toys R Us, uh, for the most part, a lot of them. But up till now, though, they've been popular movie franchises. Um, but now they've announced a two-pack Contra Bill and Lance. It's going to be forty nine ninety nine, um, and it looks really cool. And I really don't want to get into toy collecting like I used to because toys take up even more room, and it, it's just one step closer to forty year old version than even video games. But this is really cool. It, they come with um, like bullets to come out of the gun, like on a little plastic yeah, little stand. I saw a the spread. spread fire. I think there's a uh, from I think a ra- either rapid fire or laser. I think from that. Um, there's even a stand for the um, the power up flying a little chrome bubble thing. Uh, 
they look, they look, Bill and Lance look like from the cover. They, they did a good job with this. I think what's, what's interesting to note about these figures, though, is that um, Contra is a Konami property. Um, and, you know, Konami does make, I mean, the, 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 it's, uh, it's a misconception to say that Konami, I'm sorry guys, I'm really trying to stick with it here. Um, it's a misconception that Konami has no money. They do. It's from gambling. But I'm sure they're more than happy to sell off their, or to, to, um, license their licenses, uh, you know, for cash, to make cash. Because they're not doing it with games anymore. Mm -hmm. So they're probably going to take these opportunities. Um, as much as I don't want to support something that Konami has anything to do with, these are pretty cool, and I would I would love to see some other iconic Konami yeah. properties done. They've done also. I just thought of it. They've done Gremlins from the, from the NES oh, game. Right, right. So they are really digging the bottom of the barrel of of movie properties that they probably already done in the past. So they figured, right. oh, we'll just change the color to the eight bit scheme. You know how how like uh, the Batman was all purple or the Jason was mostly uh, purple, and that's what that's how they make the money off of this. Uh, but this is a inside. It's all original. Maybe they took Sylvester Stallone molds for the body, but they did the head. The heads look exactly like that, and they have the guns and stuff. So this, to me, is important just because I've always thought that there was a market for video game character toys yes. that you might never see. And th these aren't so uh, large scale that they could probably experiment with... S when I say smaller run, I'm not sure what sort of run they would do <laughs> for even this. 5,000, 10,000, maybe less. But who knows what other game companies could get involved with this. Maybe properties you wouldn't... I would never expect to see Contra figures no. before this, but Konami has Simon Belmont. Yes. That would sell even way better, because it's a much more popular franchise than even Contra. That'd be insane. That'd be, yeah. What, what, if they, what if they got Capcom properties? They did a Mega Man figure. They, they would sell a ton of those. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Maybe that's a little bit out of NECA's wheelhouse. I think so. I mean, Mega Man's already well represented, but I get what you're but saying. But you're saying... You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, you know... Uh, it, it it allows them to experiment, mm. and you're starting with Contra, which is sort of not extremely popular, but it's known, and we'll see how it does. And from that, maybe Konami, you know, oh, remember Konami owns Bonk, they own Bomberman. Well, someone can dream about Hudson Soft properties being toys. That would be cool. Is there anything you, you'd want to see off top of your head? Either Konami or otherwise from the library. Um, definitely Castlevania, but, uh, and I know that this is probably unlikely to happen, but even though it's not my favorite shooter, I would have loved to have seen, like, a Vic Viper from Gradius or something like that. That would have been very cool. Um, How about a Tecmo characters? You get Ninja Gaiden, that'd be pretty yeah, sweet. Yeah, the Ninja Gaiden ones would be cool. I'm thinking it might be those companies that are sort of, you know, not, like, huge, huge. Like, you're not going to see, obviously, Nintendo's not going to go for this. Right. You know, but uh, what if someone owns, I don't know, someone owns... Uh, the rice to you know the Taito stuff, and you get some sort of bub, you get Bub and Bob. Sure, that could be cool. You'd buy that in a second. You get the, <laughs> you know? you get the kick master. You get the kick master. <laughs> you could change out his kicks. Uh, that one that he does that looks like it's breaking every bone in his pelvis. Which one? Or, or the yeah. one the one hand stand? Yeah, in the yeah, air? yeah, that one. Well, if only someone reviewed Kickmaster in an NES guidebook, <sighs> so you can learn more about that very esoteric Taito title. But, all right, we'll see what happens. I'm probably going to order this. I only have the Freddy Krueger, uh, the Jason one. I, I thought about getting the, the Batman one because it looks sweet uh, in the all purple. But I'll probably pick this up, and we'll see what happens with there. But obviously, these been very these have been very lucrative uh, to keep putting these out. So, 
Devil's Third has finally made it to the United States. Sort of. What is Devil's Third? In a way. Devil's Third is a game that was made by uh, Itagaki. First name, Tomonobu? Am I right? 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 Come on, come on, come on, come on. Uh, yeah, Tomonobu Itagaki, who is responsible for, uh, famous for the Dead or Alive series. Um, and he also did the reboot of Ninja Gaiden before he left Tecmo Koei. Uh, this is his first game um, um, since since that since leaving. Uh, it, it's it's based uh, it's, it's basically a story about how uh, artificial satellites break apart and they take down all their satellites and it plunges the world in the war. Is it a th- third person it's hack third, and slash it's shooter? A, it's a third person action game with uh, first person shooting segments when you zoom in. Um, by all accounts. It's miserable. It got miserable <laughs> reviews when it came out in Japan. It got miserable reviews when it came out in Europe, and it's gotten miserable reviews here. Um, Itagaki has gone on in uh, typical what I would expect from Itagaki fashion to say uh, a couple of interesting things uh, about how uh, his game is actually elevating the art form of games, and uh, about how the bad reviews directly reflect the uh, poor skills of the reviewers playing his game. That's not. Oh, it's not good. We said this last time. I reached to don't attack the reviewers. <laughs> don't attack the reviewers. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> what's but what's more interesting than uh, Devil's Third is um, the fact that very, very, very few physical copies have were released in the United States. Um, a lot of tales of people pre-ordering it, not getting it. Um, uh, how you know the amount of non-pre-order copies that were sent out were basically none. Uh, you know, people looking to find a copy, you know, who just want to try it out for shits and giggles, and they find like one in a 150 mile radius when they do a GameStop search. Is, are they the only retailer carrying this? Is it, you can't like go to a Target or Best Buy and get this. You probably could have. I probably could have tried to import. I pro- we probably could have tried to get it in. It's not a GameStop see, exclusive. Let me see Walmart. What they have. It go wasn't on. a GameStop exclusive. I, I, I never said that anywhere. Um, but this was Nintendo published, and. Uh, so they're probably contractually obligated to release it in the U.S. even after the poor reception. In Japan. Yeah, and I I think they maybe just didn't particularly. I don't know. I mean, maybe they just didn't want. Maybe they just didn't. Maybe they were just hoping it would fly under the radar. Then again, maybe they didn't want it to be associated with the Nintendo brand. But what's interesting is that we have gotten to this point in collecting and in video games, and it's gross and in speculating where people immediately realized that this was going to be very hard to find. And even though that this is supposedly a crap game that absolutely no one should ever want to play, uh, with bad frame rates, stiff controls, these are among the very common problems, outdated gameplay. I watched a video of a guy wandering around for a minute trying to find, like, a checkpoint, like, that was on the screen, and he just kept running into walls because it was, like, this stupid maze. Like, stupid, stupid, outdated gameplay from, like, the fucking mid-90s just to, like, like, elongate the game. Like, it's not straightforward, it's not intuitive, like, you're constantly running around and running into dead ends and shit like that, even though, you know, the checkpoint keeps telling you, go here, whatever. So people realize that this is hard to find, and they want to pick it up despite the fact that it's well, crap. And so was it only 400 copies, 420 copies released to GameStops in the U.S.? Do you believe that? That low? I actually find that hard to believe, but, I mean, maybe. 
That's the re- that's the report. I just find it I find it hard to believe that they would do a print run that was that. I mean, why would you do? that? Why would you do one that low? I mean, we're talking when you're printing these out, it wouldn't it wouldn't be even it wouldn't be worth their time to even do it at all. No. Unless, unless again, like you said, it was it was con- contractually obligated. They maybe they print out a few thousand four twenty go to GameStop. They do something maybe else with the other yeah, ones. Yeah, it, it could be four hundred twenty game. The other thing that it could be is maybe that's maybe that's four hundred twenty copies additional to pre-orders. So, okay, well, these are your pre-orders. Your pre-orders are fulfilled. Now you've got 420 to spread around. Um, yeah, and that's probably not counting where it could have gone elsewhere. Oh, so okay. so people went out and got this because oh. they want it to be worth money. Yeah, I'll just say this. I searched for this uh, one or two days ago on GameStop. There were copies available within a 100-mile radius at three or four different... Like, well, GameStop's like 60 miles away. I could have gotten a few days ago. They were there. No longer available today. So obviously people will find out more about this, and they bought the last copies up right. to speculate. Not because it's a great game, because no. it's gotten all for reviews, to speculate and flip on eBay and on Amazon. So oddly, um, but so that's why people are grabbing this. And it's kind of, I don't know. It's oh, just, it's gross. It's just weird and it's gross. Yeah. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think I saw copies just three days ago or so. In the three hundred dollar range, people were trying to get for it. Were they selling it that much though? I don't know. And then you told me that you saw it about one eighty earlier, and then I actually checked it earlier. Now I can pick up a copy if I wanted to for one hundred and twenty three bucks, and it seems to be backfiring. And I hope it does. My thinking is though that this is going to become something that is probably worth something at some point, simply because it is a video game. In low demand. I can buy it. Is this the Japanese version? I can buy it for $80 with free shipping on Amazon right now. It says ships from Japan, though. Does that mean it's a Japanese version? That means it's probably the Japanese version. Okay. But, um... I can get it for 120 the U.S. version. Yeah, which honestly does not match up to its supposed rarity. Something like Xenoblade Chronicles... Uh, when it first came out, had a much larger release and was going for a hundred within a hundred to one hundred twenty within three, no time. Four, five, six, so seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There's sixteen, re- sixteen uh, on uh, Amazon right now. The lowest is one twenty. The highest. If there's so here's here's the the deadly game they're playing with each other. How could someone say charge two hundred for it when everyone else is trying? They're trying to move this as quickly as they can. Yeah. So there's people at 130, 120. It's going to keep going down. Yeah. Especially give this, if, this isn't like getting the Wii U when it came out or the Wii. Like there's there's not going to be a heavy demand for this. Sorry, only collectors are going for this. This is something you want to own to play. It's different. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it's just it's strange. You know, it, it's 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 a modern day example of a. When you look at the NES library, or say the PC Engine library, or any library, a lot of the rare games um, are rare because they were shit, and they didn't get mm-hmm. a large release. Hundred dollars only on eBay, by the way, so it's dropping. Yeah, so it didn't get a lot. So they get, um, you know, they're shit games. They're rare because they're shit. They don't get a large print run, and. They become worth more later because they're simply rare to completionist collectors. Um, There's 95 on eBay right now, by the way. Yeah, 95 on eBay. So this is backfiring for everyone who thought that this was going to make them a ton of money. They're moving at open auctions, $71, dollars $80. $10 more than launch price. Some buy it now, is $120, $99. 103 in Canada, 110 90 
but I think people are quickly realizing probably the, the ones that sold in the first day, and again, some are only 60, 60. Best Buy has it. Best Buy sold it for 60 on, on uh, Best Buy direct from Best Buy. So Best Buy <laughs> Best Buy got these because you could have bought it at Best Buy off of eBay's uh, Best Buy yeah, store. Yeah. So this is a modern day example of, of that sort of thing happening. Shitty game gets a no a nothing release and people are trying to make it worth something. You cannot force something to be worth money just because there's not many of them. Even I'm scared. So we'll we'll say this though. Uh what if there what if this is coveted, I know, ten, twenty years from now if you see a uh, a Wii U completionist collector go for it will then rise up back in value then? Yes, and that's what I was going to say. I do think at some point in the future it could be, but I don't think that means anyone should go out now and get it because you never know. You there also are, don't know if they're going to just say, well, we're going to produce a thousand more. Yeah, there are, there are plenty of games that are, uh, and, and, and pack, anyone who collects games to a degree can attest to this, there are a lot of games that are pretty scarce, pretty rare, that are also not very good that no one cares about that you can still get for cheap. And Devil's Third could be that. Mm-hmm. Because if it doesn't really offer anything interesting and it's really just a shit game and there's no interesting you know, aspects to it or weird story behind it, it's, it's just a shitty game that didn't get a large release. So you're going to look at people that are speculating now for hopefully hold out for it to go up in value in 10, 20 years. And maybe in 10, 20 years it's worth three, four hundred dollars you know, something like that. Right. For, those, for that hardcore Wii U collector. And that's a silly investment for a turn of $200. For a two, $200, $300 turn that's going to happen within 10 years. Yeah, it's a horrible investment. Right. Yeah. Just, just to remind you guys that, that talk about economics, that's terrible. If you want to buy and play a shitty game, do so. Believe me, I, I've, I've had fun doing it before too, but you're not going to make, this is not exactly a money-making opportunity. And, and again, they can make, Nintendo could turn around and produce 5,000 more of these in a second and all of a sudden you're, I'm just all I'm saying they is They won't. I'm, they won't, but I'm just saying they could. Sure. They can do it a year from now or two from, year, years from now, whatever. And, and this could be one of those things where um, you know, people are sitting on these, move them quick, because you don't know what's going to happen, or else if you want to make $500 off of it 20 years from now, have at it. I don't know. I have no interest in something like this. Really cool how this came out of nowhere. John Carmack, who uh, was famously with id Software, id Software responsible for really a lot of, you could say, the genesis of popularizing popularizing PC gaming in the 90s, Wolfenstein 3D, Doom. Keen. Which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, so we're talk- talking about a lot of these sort of heavy hitters. If you can, yeah, you can you can count Commander Keen as a heavy hitter in the PC. It was at so, the time. Yes, I'm, I'm relatively, but in the in that world, yes. So, um, id Software uh, found, I guess they found it or it had it, didn't release it. They put together a demo of Super Mario Brothers three running on a PC. Well, this story, and I just want to inject here, this story has never been secret. It's the fact that no one's ever seen the demo in action. So what this video is, um, is basically, this video, I, I, would, I hope, I wish there was more. It's about a six minute video. It starts with the overworld of Super Mario 3. Looks pretty damn good for being on a PC. Yeah. If you know anything about PC and graphics and capabilities, which we'll get into... This is mind-blowing for the time, yes. what they were doing. So uh, Mario moves around the map. They, they, they recreated only the, the first level at pretty accurately to how it is in the actual NES game. 
to show it off. You have Goombas, you have Koopas, you have Mushrooms, um, you have uh, the Raccoon. Uh, you can even fly. You can fly awkwardly, though. It's not run. They didn't figure out how to make Mario run, then jump and fly. Right. But it seemed like if you could get the leaf, get the tail, you can then jump and keep floating up. Yeah. That's how they had Again, this is a demo, but a pretty damn impressive demo. But the look of the game, it looks pretty good. It, it, it looks almost like a hack of a Mario game, like, like that Samario game, you know, where it's like a combination of Mario and Sonic. Yeah. That's kind of like how Mario looks. He's like a little bit off. But it's for the most part, this is pretty accurate. Again, this is a demo. And they go up to the castle, um, and then they don't have, like... Obviously, there's capabilities they couldn't do. Like, they couldn't have, like, the flashing star coming out of the white box and go up to the screen. Like, you just get it, and it's the level. Yep. That's fine. Again, it's a demo. So the story was they showed this to Nintendo, just saying, hey, if we can put... This is what we could do if you put it out on a PC. And Nintendo said, eh, thanks, but no thanks, which is fine. But what they figured out from this technology, because it supposedly id Software had to create this, the screen-scrolling technology just to do this demo. Yeah, I don't believe that uh, like scrolling like this had really been ever seen. I no. Mean, because I remember... Cause, okay, so to jump ahead a little bit, this, this ended up becoming... This technology ended up turning into Commander Keen. And Commander Keen was for a a person who was playing games on the computer at the time who did not have an NES. This was something that you were waiting for forever. Was to get a scrolling platformer yep. game that played like something you would see on the Nintendo with that sort of quality. Yeah, I think I think uh, for for people that weren't gaming in the eighties, uh, I was Ian was um, I on IBM PC, Ian on the Apple II. I, I have IBM PC too. But gaming was entirely, entirely different versus arcades, consoles, and on computers. There were three entirely different worlds. And on a computer, you were mostly, 99% of the time, dealing with single-screen experience games. Whether it was um, an RPG, a dungeon crawler where you advance, whether it was a, a port of a game show like Wheel of Fortune where one static screen, whether it was... Um, a port of an arcade game like Space Invaders, one static screen. You did not see games. Even your expansive games, like uh, you know, like your adventure games, your Lucas Art stuff, they were single screen, static screens that just linked together into a larger Go map. To one. There was no scroll. There was you know, it was just picture after picture after picture. Sierra games, yeah, one single screens at a time, which was fine, but it was so there was this disconnect saying platformers do not exist here. Right. The same way on a console, you know, you didn't see Sierra Adventure Games type of adventure games don't exist on consoles. It, that's just the way the breakup worked out. So, unable to do that, you then opened up, uh, obviously, to me, that, that was a big step to getting kids gaming more on computers. Because computer games in the 80s were not marketed towards kids. By and large, um, you, had your, you had your RPGs, um, and you had your simulations or, uh, and adventure games. Three genres that are not... You can't have four-year-olds play that. I know I tried with F-15 Strike Eagle and succeeded somewhat, but you really had to try. So so the technology was so important here to establish that we can do Commander Keen. We can do those those early uh, Duke Nukem games that were, uh, you know, side-scrolling running gunners. That that was very important to sort of bridge that gap. In order, not saying, you know, you still had mostly platformers on consoles by and large, but to be able to do that, to sort of bring that world somewhat together, I think is very, very cool. And to see it 
to, to basically see the evidence firsthand and what it where it actually started is is really impressive. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Square has finally shown some gameplay and has laid out some more details of their Final Fantasy VII remake um, that everyone was asking for for years, and now I feel like it's one of those cases of watch what you wish for. Um, uh oh. I mean, I'll start off quickly by saying that I enjoyed Final Fantasy VII. Um, I am not married to the game. I do not have the I do not have the adoration for it that so many people do. Um, so I, by way of that, there's far less for me to get worked up over here. Um, they showed their uh, trailer with the gameplay added, and uh, you know, I'll say the game looks damn nice. Um, the action looks hack and slashy, maybe similar to something like uh, Kingdom Hearts. Um, and all in all, it I, it looks like something I would play. But there's a couple of problems that are uh, that have arisen um, that have got people um, worried. One, I can't remember the name and I don't have it pulled up. Uh, there's worry that there is another developer attached to this uh, behind the scenes that is not Square that might be working on part of it. But the bigger issue is that the Final Fantasy VII Remake is going to be episodic. And even with explanation from Square, no one really knows what that means. Initially, people felt like, you know, it might be like the discs in the game, you know. On the disc one, you gotta wait for another episode. On the disc two, you gotta wait for another episode to get to disc three. And it's still kind of cloudy. Yoshinori... Uh, Yoshinori Kitase, who was the director of the uh, the original game... Um, has come out and said that they want to do it episodic because they want to expand beyond what the original game was. You know, he even says, quoting, uh, he wanted to, he wants to explore the underground and the depths of Midgar. He wants to explore above the planet and see what's going on up there, which all sounds well and good. It almost sounds like we might get an episode that is actually Final Fantasy VII as we kind of remember it, and then get additional episodes that expound on it. I'm not actually too wild about that idea. It's the reason why I never watched Advent Children or anything like that. I was was happy enough with what Final Fantasy VII gave me. I didn't need any of the expounding. Um, but then he goes on to say that without the additional episodes, what you would get would be a squashed, you know, um, very short version of Final Fantasy VII. So what does that mean? That I mean... Why? Why is that what that means? Why not put more time into it and just flesh the game out and finish it? Is this? And they've also mentioned that there might be lengthy time. There might be uh, good lengths of time in between episodes. Are they hoping that initial episodes will fund later episodes? Is there not as much money behind this as that they, as, as people might think? It's worrisome because all we have are pretty pictures, and we now know that it's going to be an action-based system yet we have no real clear answers on what the game's going to be or how they're going to keep the story intact. I'll be the cynic and think maybe it's just a money thing. If they figure, all right, we can spend our time and put out a Final Fantasy game and charge you 60 bucks and put it on a, a disc or whatever, or you can download for 60 bucks, or we can break it up into four parts and charge 20 $25 an episode and get 100 bucks out of you. And you're going to pay for it, because you're going to want to play the entire game. And the weird thing is, though, is that they say that each episode is going to be the length of a full-length game. 
Well, that doesn't but, actually answer anything for no, me because full a full-length game of what? A full-length game could be eight hours. A full-length game could be sixty hours. You didn't say what? it's going to be the length of a full-length RPG, or you didn't say that's going to be the length of a full-length action game. They I put mean, they put out modern Final Fantasy still. <laughs> So, right. So why would it be any different than getting a, a new Final Fantasy game? Right. But Ex- exactly. So doesn't make any if, sense. If, if a modern Final, well, thirteen was probably like forty hours. But if, if Final Fantasy seven is fifty-five hours on a run through your first time and you're poking around, I don't see why that is any harder to do than what they've done with other Final Fantasies. So it's not far outside the line of a typical Final Fantasy. So then why why have to? break it up. And I think this is where people get confused, and this is where I'm confused, and I think this is where further clarification is required, despite the fact that they've tried to and failed to clarify this two times. You say you want to expound on the universe. That's fine. But does that mean you're going to... I have a feeling that what this means is that they're going to bloat the game. That we're not going to get Final Fantasy VII in a chunk, and then additional episodes that expound on things. They're going to shoehorn things in. They're going to, you know what I'm saying? They're going to add parts to the story that weren't there initially that will lengthen the game at the cost of making it much, much, uh, much, much longer and much more expensive. And, uh... I don't know. I mean, I... I do not have. I have not had a lot of faith in in in, in modern uh, Square Enix. I did like Final Fantasy Type Zero, um, and I do like Final Fantasy Fourteen, which is a very fun game. But I, I, I don't have faith in them doing this any sort of justice. I just don't. Yeah, I don't have a horse in this race, but yeah, I think you owe it to your fans to tell them how this is going to be released. Clearly, is it going to be three parts? Are we talking five parts? I mean, what's the length in between these episodes? Is it like you got to wait six months to continue the game from when you remember on the PlayStation? You're like, right. all right, that's fine. I'm a quarter way through. When does the next part come? If you're right, look. If you if you're rewriting it to write the story that you wanted to write, and you're going to stretch it out to the length mm-hmm. of what could be three separate installments, because they did Final Fantasy 13, 13 2, and Lightning Returns, and those were all full length games. If that's what you mean by episodic, that's fine, but you have to fucking convey that. Sure. This is a game we've talked about on and off for the past year, year and a half, but like very speciously, like that word, uh, Star Citizen. They reached a milestone. They passed $100 million in funding, and that's combined from their you know, original crowdfunding campaign when it first came up, what, like over two years ago already? Mm-hmm. Three? Combined with, if you go to their website, you can basically fund the game by, you know, backing the game and getting alpha builds and playing different modules of this game. This is an extremely ambitious open uh, exploration space game. This is this is my dream game. This is a game that, you know, in theory will combine, sp- uh, you know, aspects of Privateer with Halo. Basically, you'd be able to uh, be a space explorer, combat missions, you can trade, be a mercenary, but also get out of your ship, explore starships, explore worlds, fight it out with guns and lasers and stuff. So we're talking about really a game that hasn't been done before. Only bits and pieces of this have been done. Like bits and pieces have been done with Privateer or Freelancer or the other parts fighting like Mass Effect, but it's never been combined before. So we're talking a lot of money to do something, a game this ambitious. So they got $100 million, but they also released released their Alpha 2 build, which they called a major breakthrough 
Uh, creator Chris Roberts said in a statement, it represents the first true slice of gameplay that includes much of what Star Citizen will bring to our fans. Thrilling space combat in a massive play area, first-person battles, and multi-crew ships where you and your friends could adventure together in a portion of the universe on the same ship. It's all technology that has never been undertaken to this scale and depth before our industry, and it hasn't. They've always been separate games. I've done pieces of this, never together. Right. This is why this is so ambitious and important. So... Uh, they just released again. You can play these in modules if you're a backer. Basically, if you're a backer, you could do like, well, I spend this fifty bucks, I can play with a shitty ship. If I spend a hundred bucks, I get a much better ship and credits to use to upgrade my ship and things like that. So they put in twenty random encounters, extra vehicular. I can't say extra vehicular activity. Vehicular. Vehicular. Go outside your ship's airlock and float around in the void and you know do stuff like that. They added new ships, new locations to explore, and they finally added the first-person and third-person shooter aspects, which are very interesting. So it's it's getting there. Now, you might argue, maybe you will, that this will never get done just because there's so many big pieces they're trying to interlock and put together that it may never get there. But at least they're they're making the baby steps to getting there. So I think the idea of the game is... Uh, honestly, it's like, Pat, like Pat said, I, it, it's kind of a dream game for me. I I grew up playing a lot of those space exploration games, vehicular, um, you know, negotiation with uh, other races. One of my favorite games, and I don't, no one, no one ever remembers this one, but one of my favorite games was Light Speed. I remember know? that one. Yeah, I didn't play. I remember. And this is, uh, you know, this is that. This is like that or Elite or something like that, taken to you know the nth degree. And I would love for something like this to come together and work, and I'm sure it would be amazing. Uh, my problem is, is that the 2.0 alpha, not to dis- not to take anything from what they're doing, but you're still talking about modules. You're still talking about slices of gameplay. You're still talking about essentially proof of concept of what you can do with each of the ideas without showing the interlocking pieces. Um, and as Star Citizen has grown additional things have, you know, so so has the ambition of the project. Mm-hmm. And there is such a thing called, is, is feature bloat, and there is such a thing as being overly ambitious. And I do wonder at one, at what point will everything be nailed down and they will say, okay, this is what we've got, this is what we're going to shoot for, and, and, and that's that's it. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, it, it's kind of my concern with, um, Another another ta- similar sort of title that I'm very much looking forward to, uh, No Man's Sky on the PS4. Um, ambition is great, but you have to rein it in to the point where you can create an actual finished project. At least so that's not even close to what you're going to be able to do in this, though. No, but and I'm that's going to come out. But, but like, I'm just saying, even this. but I'm saying even that to me is like you're never. Are you actually going to be ma- be able to make everything you want to work work? And the answer is no. And while I'm not saying this will never get made, I am saying that I, I do think expectations need to be tempered considerably. And, and plus, remember, there's going to be you know a, a massive single player campaign and a multiplayer for this. I mean, they've already have the they've already hired out uh, Gary Oldman, Andy Serkis, uh, Mark Hamill, and others to to act in this. So we're going to have a you're going to have a cool single player cap- campaign to bring you back to the world, you know, of like like a privateer where you have like a cool campaign to do and that'll probably be massive too and, and you'll probably still have all the side quests you can do and go off on your own explore worlds get out be a trader be a mercenary be a pirate hell running your own starship that that to me is cool i never played one of those i think there was a series 
and then started in the late nineties, I think, where you had your own starship, uh, uh, the bridge or something like that. There was a few, yeah, and I know they're still around, but again, never has all this been integrated into one space combat with first person shooter. All this together is. I'll say this: if it comes out and it's it, it is what it says it is, or or it, it's at least mostly what it says it is, I will go out uh, and I will build a computer that will play this yeah. game to the to its maximum you're gonna, specs. You're going to see me and Ian start our own <laughs> brigade, and we're going to become uh, Star Citizen Let's players because you're never going to see see us again. And the podcast will end. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna, the podcast will be so Ian. What but, we're playing right now? Well, we're going to go on on our raid right now. <laughs> I, I do I do have my doubts. So, anyways, that's that. They're getting there though. Let's put it this way: I, I think that the guy has the, he has the pedigree, uh, Chris Roberts, to do this. They have the money to do it. Mm-hmm. It's getting there in bits and pieces. There's no reason to think it won't get there. But now it's the timing. It's going to be a year, two years before it's final. You know, that's where we're looking at now. So we got a lot of movie topics to get Great, through. Great, my favorite. But we're going to start real quick. Not a huge amount of time to spend on this one, but the MST3K Kickstarter was massively successful. They funded 14 episodes. The original goal was only 13. They did more than that. They did this marathon the last day, uh, like a live uh, marathon. They had people on, and they revealed the cast members at the same time. Um, so we're talking uh, $6.3 million, and it broke the record for something like this previously held by the Veronica Mars movie, which mm-hmm. was $5.7 So, yeah, you're going to have about a year from now, you're going to have a full season of MST3K. However, you're going to have people doing the show that you are maybe not familiar with and are brand new. And that's what Ian's concern about was originally, uh, about who they're going to get on the show. Um, so you're going to have the star. My biggest reservation is the, the star, the guy replacing Joel and Mike, is Jonah Ray, who's from, he's from the Nerdist. Um, I've seen his stand-up on YouTube after finding out who he was. Not the strongest. I know stand-up is difficult. It's one of the hardest things in the world to do, to be a good stand-up comedian. But his, his stand-up was not strong. Um, now that's, to say, that's not to say he can't be a good writer and performer on this, but if that was an indication, I'm not, I'm not happy about the selection. That said, though, I'll give him, I'll give him a shot and see how he does, obviously. They have the, the, two, uh, the two bads, baddies, you know, replacing uh, Dr. Forrest or TV's Frank, you have Felicia Day uh, as a choice. Uh, Felicia Day, she's known online. We'll see how she does. I mean, to me, to me so far, these selections are, we'll get people that millennials know and like and plop them into these roles. I mean, I'm going to be honest. That's how it seems like Joe Hodgson selecting these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he gets Patton Oswalt. That's, to me, a stronger, much stronger choice uh, to be TV, TV's Frank's son. He kind of looks like mm-hmm. uh, Frank Conner who played TV's Frank. Patton Oswalt's, uh, Oswalt has the pedigree to be a wacky character like that. No problem with that selection at, at, at all. That's probably a pretty good one. The other two guys uh, that are doing uh, Crow's voice and uh, Tom Sorrell's voice, Baron Vaughn and Hampton Yount, not familiar with their... I think they're younger stamp comedians. I'm not familiar. Again, this could be sort of, well, they're younger people. They're known millennials. Let's plop them in. Uh, and then they, they're going to have a bunch of guest writers involved. You have Joel Hodgson. Remember, Joel Hodgson was a, a pretty, pretty <laughs> big comedian in the '80s. He was on he did uh, SNL. Uh, he was on, I believe, David Letterman. Uh, maybe not. Maybe uh, Johnny Carson. I'm not sure. But he was known before all this. 
uh, you know, he did com- he did comedy and he always had his inventions with him. So he's friends with people like Jerry Seinfeld. They're friends with Joel Hodgson. So Jerry Seinfeld might be involved in some capacity with this to help out his buddy. He helped uh, promote the, the Kickstarter. Um, so you're going to have guest writers and maybe guest appearances by some pretty big people. But that's that's not what the issue is. The issue, though, is though who is going to be the head writer? Who's going to corral all this together? Who's going to be that single voice to bring this all together? Um, and I don't know if that's been announced yet or that's yet to be seen. And that's really what this is all going to hedge on. Because at the end of the day, from season, I think season two on, uh, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Nelson, uh, he was the head writer. Right. So everyone had a say in what riffs got in the movie and everything. But you always had one person. You, had a, you needed one deciding vote to throw it out or to decide upon, okay, uh, we're going to have this line of riffs that'll be run through the movie, whether it's making fun of um, this guy's name throughout the movie. You can't have a hodgepodge. Even if you have seven people contributing, you have, one, you have to have one voice to sort of distill it and have the head writer. So who's going to be responsible? It probably won't be Joel because that, that the riffing part and that wasn't his strong point with the show. It was creating the you know the sets and the robots and, and the concept, and it wasn't actually the writing. And he probably won't be involved in that that heavily. So who's going to be the main writer? How are the how is the guest writing going to work? Will they be on screen, the people, or will they just be behind the scenes? So there's a lot of unknowns here. I'm not saying this is going to go awry, but I think they got to be very careful about how this comes together, especially since I hate to say this, but the sense of humor uh, for the millennials that are going to be involved in starting this, their sensibilities might be a lot different than the guys still doing riff tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people that backed this, by and large, are going to be people, either people that loved MSC3K 20 years ago and riff tracks. So if they're presented so they're with... they're backing something that and they might not get what they thought they were backing. Exactly. <laughs> Which if, is my concern. If they're backing guys writing jokes that want to maybe play it safer, because that's how comedy is nowadays, and maybe not try to be as edgy, or maybe people... Hell, there was... I still watch MST3K and see references that um, I don't get um, or are culturally even 30 years before the, you know, 1990. That, But that was part of the show. You had to appreciate that, that they, they had that wealth of uh, film knowledge going back to the mm-hmm. 50s and 60s and 40s. Can these new writers and new stars do that to the same effect? Because to them, it would be like them referencing Independence Day, you know, like 20 years ago. Versus them referencing stuff in the 70s and 60s in the, in the late 80s and 90s. So we're talking about, again, the audience for MST3K has gotten older. There hasn't been a show to get a younger crowd along. Right. Hell, I tried to do one real quickly. You know, and that sort of stopped for a reason we'll get into now. But, you know what I mean? So that's your concern for four. But now I think it's been more crystallized now that we've seen who's more involved with this. Yes. So I don't know if you have anything to add besides. No, I mean you, you pretty covered. You pretty much covered what I was going to say. Um, I, my concerns initially have just been bolstered, and um, I mean I think it's kind of a happy thing for a lot of people. I don't want to shit on that, but I just until I sit down and watch an episode of it, I really have no no idea what to expect. Yeah, and people and all the changes that happened before at MST3K, they're always done one at a time. New servo after season one. New uh, main host uh, in between season five. Uh, after season uh, six, TV's Frank's gone. At season eight, that's when you got a new crow. So it was always done. You had a few years to get used to each piece going away and coming mm-hmm. back. Um, you know, with this, all new. All at once. New host, new robot voices, new baddies, 
new set. It may as well be a new show. It's just got could be. It's just got window dressing. It could be. You have you still have Tom Servo and you still have uh, Crow. But if people honestly, it hinges on the head writer and Jonah Ray. If people don't like Jonah Ray, it falls apart. Yeah, because people Mike was good because Mike was the head writer. Um, so, and you had seen him around in bit parts throughout the years. Yeah. He'd show up as um, the guy from Man of Steel. I can't remember his name. Torgo. He showed up as Torgo. He showed up at even voice. So people knew he was part of the show. Jonah Ray is entirely new. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. I'm going to be there with bells on. <laughs> Time for a topic that I don't understand the point of. The, well, we figure that we're not going to be, do, be, doing, be doing a podcast for two weeks. We're going to miss the opening of Star Wars The Force Awakens. But I just want to talk about the very positive reception the film has gotten so far. It's like 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, which just... I didn't think that it was in bad hands with J.J. Abrams. I didn't. I just didn't think... I didn't think it would be this positive. 95%. And we're recording this on the, uh, Wednesday the 16th. I was kind of expecting something like 80. I was thinking, I was thinking like 85-ish. I was thinking about sure. where the Star Trek movies... And again, Star Trek, I think, was like 90, the first one. Yeah, the first one was the J. second J. one. Yeah, J.J. Abrams did, the, did the, the last two Star Trek movies, which to me were tryouts for Star Wars because they basically are a tone and style of Star Wars, so it was always perfect. The critics' consensus, which again is like, put it in the blender, what are all the critics saying? Uh, packed with action and populated by both familiar faces and fresh blood, The Force Awakens successfully recalls the series' former glory while, while injecting it with renewed energy. Which is what it kind of looked like from the trailers it was trying to do. Mm -hmm. It wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel of what a Star Wars movie was. It wasn't going to go off in this uh, abject direction. It was just going to say, we know what you liked from the original trilogy. We know you liked practical models. We know you liked real worlds and sets. We know you liked the old original uh, actors a hell of a lot more than Qui-Gon and Mace Windu. We're going to get them back and then put in these new characters that you're hopefully going to love. It looked like they were going to go for a gentle transition, basically yes. from the from the from the Star Wars that you actually remember liking and those <laughs> characters, and then transitioning to the newer characters who will probably, without seeing it, I'm going to guess will probably you know strengthen themselves yeah. and become their, their their themselves in the second movie or well, the second or, movie or of this trilogy. They might be already there. Well, sure, because one of the I've I've read spoiler free reviews because uh, because because you don't really. I know as much from the plot from reading these reviews as I did before, so I'm not really getting spoiled. And from what I, what I gather, why this movie is going to do extremely well, besides the fact that it's Star Wars, uh, besides the fact that it's critically acclaimed, people are already talking about director nomination for J.J. Abrams mm. and Best Picture nomination. Probably will because they do 10 now. And remember, Star Wars got nominated in 70, uh, for 77, and 78 got nominated, and they only had five by then got nominated. Um, people are maybe saying... Besides technical, yeah, best director. That the big the big thing with this movie, besides yes, they're using film again. The effects are a lot better than this crappy CG of the prequels. The characters are good characters. You care about these characters. The new characters, Ray and Finn and uh, Poe Dameron, are really fun, likable characters. And that, <laughs> more than anything else, when people say, "Oh, Jar Jar Binks." Oh, the CG is terrible. Oh, characters make stories; they make films. You have bad characters; you do not have interest to watch the movie. You can have awesome action, but if the characters doing that action aren't interesting, or you don't care about them, you don't care. Jar Jar and all the bad CG in the world could be written away if anyone gave a fuck about Obi or Qui Gon or Mace yes. or Anakin or Padme or yes. any 
single person in those early movies. So when I when I talked to I think I talked to you or someone else and I even brought it up so I never really thought of what the hell do you learn about Obi Wan in those prequels? No, we were talking about that earlier. No. What do you learn about his character and personality besides that he's a a noble guy doing the right thing as a Jedi? You don't learn about his backstory or history, where he came from. People are going to say, oh, you find out about that in the freaking the novel. Or you find out about that in the, the, the Clone Wars cartoon. It's like, that's not the point. It's the movies. Yes. You can, if you have to rely upon external sources to flesh out your character, you're doing an awful job. Uh, so this movie, for the most part, says that the characters, uh, from the from reviews, by and large, say that the character of uh, Ray is really, really good character. It's not just a quote-unquote feminist girl power character just to throw, be thrown in. It's actually a very well-done character and, and complex in that Finn's a fun character. And then you have uh, Poe Dameron is basically the new Han Solo. He's a dashing rogue, and that was the main ingredient I always said was missing from the prequels. You had you never a devil may care sort of character, sort so, sort of like fuck the man character. Right. I don't care about your your Jedi Order and this monk stuff. I'm just doing my own thing and having fun. And he's the guy you want to be like. There wasn't a guy you wanted to be like in the prequels. I didn't want to be like Obi Wan as a kid. I know as a kid I didn't want to be like Luke Skywalker. I don't want to be like Han Solo. Yeah. And besides Han Solo being back in this movie, you got a character that's sorta of in that mold. Right. You know, the sort of guy like, you know, the get out of my way, sort of Clint Eastwood type character if you can say that for a Star Wars movie. So I'm gonna see this Saturday. I'm excited. I'm happy that it's getting good reviews. I won't see it until Christmas. Okay, so, so you're gonna get spoiled. Uh, probably more than if you haven't already. Um, I, I think though, I, I think it just it bodes very well though, just because remember if this didn't do well, you already got episode eight is probably starting to get filmed already or if not soon, and they're already probably going to start filming the first standalone movie, which comes out already next Christmas. There's going to be another Star Wars movie. You're going to see at least one Star Wars movie for next for the, for the rest of our lives probably, right. which is weird to think about. And then you have another one uh, for the fourth anniversary in May. 2017 episode 8 already a year and a half only after this one so I'm happy this is getting good reviews oh yeah and people are saying Kylo Ren is a very interesting villain he's not just a Darth Vader clone that's just evil you know and that's it and so it sounds like they hit that sort of right balance if anything some of the reviews said there was almost too much nostalgia and almost too much callback to the original. it was almost maybe like they were playing it too safe but honestly that's better than that's fine almost too much fan service in that like okay we get it you want to get to see the original. Uh, you have characters showing up, and then, okay, you really have to have... I don't want to spoil it. You really have to have these characters in that, because you saw them in Return of the Jedi, they're back. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, that's where they kind of probably went overboard. But yeah, maybe. But J.J. Abrams, again, <laughs> he wanted to play it safe and connect it. Sure. <laughs> it's been a while since we talked about this, huh? They're doing another one. <laughs> like your voice they're doing it they're doing a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 and Michael Bay's doing it oh he's producing it and uh <laughs> I mean you know what I'm not gonna go see it but it doesn't piss me off like the original one did you, you know why cause you already know what to expect well that but the trailer actually made it look somewhat like a Ninja Turtles movie whoa Whoa! It didn't look, it didn't look as mind-bogglingly absent from the original property as the first one did. Um, you've got the turtle van. You've got Bebop and Rocksteady. You've got Baxter Stockman. Yeah, as played by Tyler Perry. Right. Um, it still looks, and I mean, like literally, looks like trash. And I don't. 
I, I mean, I, I'm not gonna go. I, I just, I'm not. I just have no interest in seeing it, these movies. But it looks better. But it looks better, and like, I, and I'm gonna say that. And maybe it's because I'm sick, and I was sick <laughs> when I watched the trailer. Are you on some medicine right now? To know about <laughs> some medication? I was earlier. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm sick and tired. They still have the ugly snout noses. Yeah, they still look awful. It's still Megan Fox's April. Um, the guy who was Shredder or Shredder's dad or brother or <laughs> uncle is, is still in it. But, like, even though they were horrible looking, scenes, oh, Casey Jones is in it. Scenes where they're in the turtle van and they're firing the manholes out of the front and the Casey Jones fight in the alleyway and, you know, the Bebop and Rocksteady shit. And I'm like, well, at the very least, this looks like like shit, but a reasonable facsimile. Like, it looks like the shittiest... It looks like the shittiest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon or something like that. It, it does... Like, I'm not... I'm not trying to praise it because if anyone thinks this is me praising it, it's not, but I, I, it, it just... It does not... If this was the first one I had seen... I'd be shitting on it just like I shed on the first one. But the first trailer was so fucking bad for the original movie. It was bad. So bad that this, I can be like, fine. I don't need yeah. to yell and scream about it. I don't I don't need to get worked up over it. You have the news guy, play by what the guy is starting to laugh at his name right now. Here's, yeah, the first movie was like the introduction, and you had to get over the fact that it looked like they looked like garbage. You didn't like how it looked. Right. <laughs> the lips, you know, the chat lips. Oh. And we didn't know Splinter was going to be Asian, but Splinter did turn out to be Asian, so yeah. that was a good surprise. Uh, but yeah, now we have Bebop and Rocksteady. So the, the problem with the original movies, they looked good, but you didn't have Bebop and Rocksteady. You didn't have Krang. You had nothing to connect to the cartoon, really. Right. See, and, and like, I, I'm a fan of the Mirage comics and like the early comics, but like, and, and, but the cartoon's okay, and this looks like it wants to be like the cartoon. Yes, and that's okay, and that's what people want though, because that's the most recognizable Ninja Turtles. That's fine. That's it's not Turtle it's Van. Not, it's not going to be good, but it's fine. But it's closer now. My problem, by the way, Seamus is playing Rocksteady, which is funny as hell. I you know. don't see him in the trailer, but I just don't. I guess he hit me. He, he dialed on me. I, I love Bebop and Rocksteady. By the way, I no, just so love their I. dumb, their dumb personalities. I think they're brilliant sort of characters. Yes, problems remain. Yes, April O'Neil strutting around like a porn star. You know, in her little midriff school outfit. That's not April O'Neil. No. April O'Neil's not walking and acting like a porn star. She's like the girl next door who's cute and sexy, but she's not Megan Fox. Can't we we can't recast her. Too late. But you do have Casey Jones. I don't know if if the uh, casting the guy from Arrow is the right choice because he's like the hot guy of the moment to do that versus a guy with long hair like Casey Jones it's supposed to be. Whatever. It's Casey Jones. He's there. You know, we'll get over it. You know, we'll work around that. I guess it's just like, I'm looking at something that I don't want to see, but at least it's familiar enough for me to not flip out on. Sure. You don't have the energy to flip out on this as much as the first one. No. You, and just, even if I did have the energy, my amount of flipping out would be very, very mild at this point. And plus, you see where this is going. They're setting up Crank for the third one. You see yes. some sort of alien stuff coming that I would love to see a Crank done, how it was done in the cartoon uh, on live action. They'd be hysterical if they get someone to do it with the attitude and having... Uh, what was it, Dimension X and having the rock yeah. soldiers come through? Uh, you know, uh, G- General, <laughs> was it uh, Craig? Was it Craig? Was it General? Anyway, you know, the rock soldiers. Yes. That would be awesome. They have the Technodrome show up in the city. They have a big battle with the Technodrome. They tease it on the cartoon. They barely did it on the cartoon. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this. I'll say this. Uh, I will never, ever watch the first one. And I will not go see this one in theaters. <laughs> However, if I am very bored and very sick, and this was on Netflix... <laughs> 
I might watch if it. If you were dying, it would might it might get your attention. I might watch it. All right. Another another trailer came out that we always forget this is coming out next year, right? I'm excited about it. Um but I have to say so it's the X-Men Apocalypse trailer. And I'm excited about the movie because I like the I I I love X-Men. I mean, they're my they're my weak spot. Um the trailer the trailer looks okay. The problem was the trailer. I, I and I, I'm going to sound like an asshole here. Um, I, I often complain about trailers saying too much. I feel like this trailer said too little. I don't well, really know a whole lot about it. Well, it's an, a more announcement trailer. It, it's, it's yeah. a teaser. So um, I did like what I saw. Um, I'm going to go see it. I, I it's not obviously just just like every superhero movie these days that has that decides to put, like, a name of a famous story arc with it. It's not going to be Age of Apocalypse, but I'm sure they're going to pull a lot of things from it. Um, it looks like Magneto is going to fight on the side of good at some point. It looks like at some point... It, well, Buddy Star looks like he's one of the four horsemen, though. It also looks like Xavier perhaps maybe goes bad. You know, I mean... Xavier lo- goes bald somehow. We're gonna it, goes you know, it, it, looks, it looks like that some certain plot points are going to stay the same. And I like the current cast for the the early era X Men that they have. Are you talking about the the, the young Storm, <laughs> the young Jean Grey, the young Cyclops? Yes, I like those. I like the Mohawk Storm from the eighties. That's thumbs up. Yeah, absolutely. She's cutie. So um, yeah, I dig all that. You, um, you got you got you brought back a, a young Nightcrawler. Yep, he's there. So. I mean, I don't... I, I a young gotta, Jubilee somehow, even though she's seen in the later ones, whatever, that's screwed up, that's continuity. Yeah, but, the, yeah, I mean, but this is... I mean, they've screwed up all the continuity, yes. and, and I'm always going to have problems with that, but as an X-Men fan, I'm just going to overlook certain things and go see the movie and sit down, and when I leave, I'm probably going to say, you know what, that was fun, and that's going to be good enough for me. I still really want the X-Men to just get the fuck under Marvel's wing, and, I mean, if we lose... Spider Spider Man's going. Fantastic Four will likely go. It's like, how much more can you actually do with the X Men on their own? TV show, TV, right? Well, because you already did you did six movies, nine if you include the Wolverine. We're going to do one more, nine movies. That's a lot to do in like sixteen, seventeen years. Um, you go to a TV show, but then you got to have Marvels okay, and then then maybe you reboot it and start with the. They'll never restore the original team. You're always going to have a Wolverine in no, there. No, but what I think you know. is going to happen is a lot of these actors are going to be like, we're done with these roles, and I think that's oh, yeah. a perfect time for Marvel to take it over and recast it in their universe. If they can work out a deal, I yes. think that'd be good. I think that would that would give that would give the Phase Four, or Phase Five a shot in the arm when we're 50 years old. Like that, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that'll be fine. Um, it's cool they have Archangel, even though Angel was in the original. My concern... They, they didn't show Wolverine. Supposedly, he originally was gonna, wasn't going to be in it, but then they went back and... Sh- I heard they shot some stuff to include him because people love Wolverine. Right. But he's not anywhere here to be seen, though. No. You see to say, you see the young characters to try to connect it to the movie that comes out from this point. I'm guessing this takes place like 83. Since the first one was like 63, I think the second one was like 73. Yeah. This is around 83, probably. So... 17 years later, these are older, and then they're in their 30s, I guess, if that works out. You know, Jean Grey. And <coughs> even though Nightcrawler, he's here, then they probably forgot he existed in X-Men 2. Whatever. They fucked it up. We know that. But these movies are a lot better than X-Men I'm just 3. Taking them from, I'm just taking them well, one at a time. They're standalones. Yeah. Michael Fassbender's amazing in, 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 as Magneto, so whatever. He is. Uh, Quicksilver's back. I don't have a huge... People are getting on the makeup and prosthetics of Apocalypse. I don't care. I don't care that either. much. He looks okay. I'm more concerned about he never. Was, it's not like he was ever a good-looking character. 
I'm also concerned about is this going to be a movie where uh, just because she's a huge star, jeez, uh, I'm so tired, uh, that Mystique's going to be the star of this. The same way Wolverine became the star of all the X-Men movies. Jennifer something. Yeah. Um. No, I don't know about that. I don't know. Because she played a huge part. They, they basically rewrote the plot of, you know, Days of Future Past. For her to be yeah, but not they didn't not just for her. They rewrote the. I mean, it was a good movie, but they rewrote the entire. Oh, no, I, I, I like that movie a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it bears almost zero resemblance to the massive sure. two issue but, arc that was Days of Future. But Pack. now she's not a she's not bad. So now she's still fighting with the X Men. It's like Mystique was never fighting with the X Men for a huge amount of time. You know, like so I don't. You know. The, the, they're playing with fire a little bit. Then you have Psy- Psylocke as one of the four horsemen, and maybe Storm starts out as one of the four horsemen. So yeah, they're changing some stuff around here. But yes. we'll see what happens. I'm going to see it. We're going to get burned down on superhero movies, but it'll be fun do- during the ride, right? I don't know. <laughs> All right, uh, this movie is interesting because it's coming out, you know, 20 years later, and under a completely different tone. A little, no, like I don't say completely. It's still dark and eerie. You remember, a lot of people got killed in the first one. Yeah, but there it, was a lot of tongue-in-cheek humor and shit in the first one. It's the best worst movie ever, Independence Day. <laughs> and this is Independence Day Resurgence. So, the aliens are back 20 years later to kill us. And, and you a bigger have, ship. You got most of the original cast back. You have Bill Pullman. Um, you have uh, uh, Vivica Fox, who played the stripper... Girlfriend of uh, not girlfriend, oh, I guess love interest, yeah, of of Will Smith's character who they killed off off screen. He's not back, but his son's in the movie, and then you have good old Jeff Goldblum and Brent Spiner somehow back. Yeah, as a scientist, you know he got killed off in the first one. Either way, most of the cast is back. Will Smith probably said, "I can't be bothered. You're not giving me enough money." Oh, and you have you have Chris Helmsworth uh, brother. Well, um, Will Smith is on tour with Jazzy Jeff. All of is he really? Yes, he is. I <laughs> see. I'm dead serious. Well, I guess he wants to go back to his roots, right? Um, so I guess the big takeaway from this is that they're back. The first time they were just they were just kidding around. It was they was like, oh, was, they were just scouts the first time. Really, they were scouts. They were ready to blow up the entire world. They were just scouts. <laughs> I don't buy that, but I guess they needed to have a bigger threat. Like the last shot of this trailer is like it's like half the size of the world. The ship yeah. going over the world. Um, I think this could be. Biting it a little too much in terms of going for the nostalgia crowd. The first movie was sort of catching lightning in a bottle. Yes, it sort of was it during came... like the biggest era of summer blockbuster movies, where every year there was one big one that everyone went to go see. Y- yeah, you had one or maybe two, two. a year, and this came out. Remember the, the famous teaser where it shows a blow up the White House. And that, that was like earlier in 96. It was like, holy shit, aliens blowing up the White House. Okay, we haven't seen that since the 60s and 50s and bad, you know, B. It was like a new B movie. Right. But with awesome effects for the time. And they're still pretty good. And you had Will Smith, who was big and huge. And it shouldn't have done huge biz, but it, like, it, it should have done good biz, but it was like the biggest movie of like two years. Like, it was huge. Yeah. There was marketing for and toys and Slurpee Cups and everything. But by doing this... Are enough people going to care enough to go back? Are like are the teenagers from that going to go back and bring their kids? Are teenagers <laughs> nowadays going to going to want to go and see it fresh? Is that film twenty years ago still as beloved to capitalize on it? To I be, was like a sophomore yeah. in high school when that came out. 
and I'm 33 now. Like, that's just a long, long fucking time. So you don't care? Uh, I mean, you know, honestly, well, no. No. (laughs) No. I mean, it it doesn't look, the thing is, is it doesn't actually look patently awful. It doesn't. No, it actually does. And actually, if anything, it might look better than the original because it's a darker tone. It it actually looks fairly decent. I just don't know that I, dude, I, I go to the, I've been going to the movies a lot lately, but in general, I don't go to the movies, and I don't think this is going to get me out of my chair and into a seat. I think the problem is is that this was the first movie, go back to Batman, Batman v Superman, and Superman, uh, Man of Steel, where this was like the first big movie we saw where cities are getting destroyed on a massive scale. Sure. Remember the scene the scene in you know New York where it comes down and blows up at like the Empire State Building or whatever. It blows it up, and the White House blows up, and they're blowing up everywhere. That was like, wow, to see that in the big screen in 96 was a big deal. Yeah. That was, was kind of state-of-the-art effects. Now, every other movie cities get destroyed. Right. And the people, whether it's Godzilla or whether it's Day After Tomorrow with a giant you know, tidal wave to toppling the city. You know, um, it, it happens all the time. Every Transformers movie, you know, every superhero movie cities are getting demolished. So the draw is not there. Just to see, oh, their aliens are fucking shit up. Wow, I, I saw that in the Avengers. You know, I saw that in Avengers too. They're they're trying to topple cities. So, I don't think I think it'll do okay. I just don't see it being the huge sort of cultural uh, milestone in terms of movie that it was in ninety uh, ninety six. I believe it was. I just don't see it. No. This one I will watch on Netflix if I am sick or bored. Oh yeah, I think I'll watch it. It's a shame Will Smith. Uh, you won't get some bad uh, one-liners from Will Smith. That's what I call culture encounter. Too bad you won't get that again. You just made me spit on my computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as our uh, cavalcade of I love using that word of trailers continues, uh, the Star Trek Beyond trailer. Jesus fucking Christ! The third in the new trilogy. This was supposed to be really attached to Star Wars, and you know what? You can if if that's the case, you can tell it was cut that way because. This is not cut like a Star Trek trailer at all. J.J. Uh, Abrams directed the first two. Right. Justin Lin directed this one. He's a guy that did basically help revive the Fast and the Furious franchise. And oh, you can tell by watching this. Yes, you can. At least from the trailer. Uh, because I love the Beastie Boys. You love the Beastie Boys. Sabotage is a great song. Rest in peace, M- MCA. Uh, Sabotage is the song trailer. But this is cut like a straight up action movie which okay a lot of Star Trek movies are mostly most of Star Trek movies were action movies especially yeah. from Next Generation on they sort of said oh this slower sci-fi morality and ethics conversation we don't need that we'll just have a shoot the Borg for an hour and a half that's fine but let's try to keep some of your let's try to keep some of it in Star Trek from this trailer it's just people jumping around Spin kicks. You have a female alien that looks like a ripoff of Gamora. They figured, oh, Gamora was big in Guardians of the Galaxy. We'll do our version and give her white skin. I'll have her dress the same way in leather and do spin kicks. That's what I'm getting from this trailer. People hanging from cliffs. People hanging from cliffs and jumping and... A motorcycle. <laughs> a, a motorcycle. Kirk, I guess, got that replicator and got, <laughs> got in the replicator and got, a, got a, 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 an off... A, off-road motorcycle or moped or something is doing jumps and it comes out in July it it looks terrible from this teaser. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. And I like the first two Star Trek movies. Uh, uh, but I always say that Star Trek is much better on TV because 
not saying Star Trek can't have action. Star, no. Good Star Trek has action, but it also has, again, it has those sort of questions. Should we be doing this? Is this ethical? The morality that comes up with sci-fi. It's not just straight action. And this one's like, should we be... Vroom, 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 vroom. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do that effect again? <laughs> Shiver it. Vroom, 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 vroom. There you go. That's exactly what a motorcycle does. <laughs> Uh, and basically in the sh- <laughs> in the trailer <laughs> in the trailer they give away that it's basically a huge away mission they're on a planet out there at the far reaches <laughs> and the, the Enterprise gets destroyed like in the first 20 <laughs> Does the Enterprise have to get destroyed in every Star Trek movie? Yeah. That's what I'm going to ask. That's how they built the motorcycle. Are they on, like, they model parts together? <laughs> with broken up hole pieces? They got some glue. <laughs> so, this, the, the Enterprise got destroyed... In what, two or three of the Next Generation movies? It got destroyed in what, two of the original movies? It got destroyed. And now it's got destroyed in all three of the new ones? In some large capacity, it got destroyed? Or Yeah, it got destroyed in the first one, yes. the new ones. It's got destroyed here, and the second one, it got fucked up, too. You know, it's like, you can do Star Trek without this Enterprise getting fucked up <laughs> all the time. Maybe you need a new starship if it's always getting fucked up. Maybe this shouldn't be the flagship always getting its ass kicked. Yeah, yeah, this is right. supposed to be the flagship of the entire federation of, is, of planets. And it's getting fucked up all the time. It's an escape pod. <laughs> but you know what? It's got that off-road motorcycle. <laughs> sure does. I'm glad they packed that on board. Let's talk uh, a little bit about uh let's talk about it a little bit about another bad idea. Oh, uh, okay. I don't I don't I'm not sure I'll agree with you totally, but alright. Uh, okay, you could not agree with me here, but you're wrong. Um, okay. So Hasbro wants to make a toy universe uh, that uh, of toy of, movie it, universe. Yeah, a toy movie universe of interconnected toys with Paramount. Uh, yeah. With Paramount, yeah. Hasbro. Yeah, because they did a great job with a GI Joe. Uh, they would, well, they like, also have Transformers, right? Uh, yeah, good job there too. Uh, <laughs> Those make tons of money. Yeah, great. That doesn't mean they're good. <laughs> It also makes tons of money. Child trafficking. Um, G.I. Joe, Micronauts, Visionaries, Mask, and Rum. All those toys that you remember if you're 33 plus. You walk that fucking line right there, mister. Walk that line when it comes to Mask. You fucking walk that line. Micronauts, okay. Micronauts is what, early 80s, late 70s? Yep. That's going way back. Did that have a cartoon even, or was that just uh, I think comic? Just a toy, or probably a comic. Rom, that was just comic book, right? Did that did that have a cartoon? No, it was a it was a Marvel comic. It was a Marvel comic. I guess they must have had toys. I don't remember because that was early to mid eighties, even before my time. Visionaries was one season that I don't remember watching an episode of. I I honestly don't. I wanted to, but never did. I see the, I see the toys at the swap meet maybe once every two years. Mask, however was pretty freaking big for the two to three years it was on. All right. It was popular. Okay. All right? You, you with me? I'm with you. You with me. It wasn't G.I. Joe big. It wasn't Transformers big. No one's saying that, Ian. I, but Mask is fucking cool. I, I wasn't saying that either. Mask is a combination, of basically, of G.I. Joe and Transformers. Mask is one part of this vicious fuck stew of five. <laughs> okay? Okay. All right. 
We're not saying there's gonna there should be a ROM or Micronauts or freaking visionary standalone film. But give me my fucking dream. I've always dreamed of a mask movie. I, look at me. If I become a big time director, I will do a mask movie. I will. That will be like that will be my white whale is doing a mass movie. Right. I swear to God, mark my word. I'm gonna become a big director. I'm doing a mass movie somehow. If it's not done here, <laughs> I'm gonna get that money and get it done. Google 13 and, and mask. All right. A mass movie could appeal to kids. <laughs> Say with me, it could appeal to adults. It doesn't have to be ham fisted and go for over the top sexuality and, and crude crude humor like the Transformers movie made a mistake on. Plus, you have human characters, so. I know one of the bad fuck-ups of the, of the Transformers movies was that they didn't trust that people want to follow uh, robots around as main characters, so we had to throw in all the, Tyrese and, and all these other characters that who gives a shit about and Megan Fox. But with Mask, you have human characters with cool transforming cars and vehicles with the best fucking cartoon theme song. Stop with me. The best theme song of any cartoon, arguably, ever, let alone the 80s. That alone will sell... Say with me. Say with me. That alone will sell this property. You're going to get kids. I'm going to see it. People in the 30s are going to see it. We're going to get our mass toys and mar- march to the theater. And I'll be there opening night to see Max the movie coming 2018. I am there. All right. Cool. I am there. We're done. Visionaries, Mike Nuts and Rom, you can hitch a wagon to that mass train. <laughs> you, you can try. Here's okay. Honestly, though. Not, I don't think they're going to try to do like this extended years. I think what they're going to try to do is like the Batman v Superman. They're going to have GI Joe, and then you're going to have uh, Matt Matt Tracker show up from Mask, and you get a couple of characters in there because technically, Mask takes place in the GI Joe universe. I, they've done the crossover toys, I believe. They've done um, they've done a they've done a Tracker figure in a GI Joe. Um, in the past few years, they did a, a Tracker figure. And a GI Joe packaging, so it's the same universe. Hell, it was both. I think it was both Sunbow. I, I think it was similar styles uh, done with that. So it's not crazy for me to want a mask movie. I know you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but let me have my fucking dream, Ian. That's all I'm saying. All right. Let me dream. God damn it. Okay. All right. It's not crazy to think that mask could be a good movie. You can totally have your mask movie. All right. Q&A time, short Q&A time on the CU podcast. Yeah, I need to go home. Uh, <laughs> this is from John Gass. Start collecting cheap games first or go for the expensive ones? Do you want to be a player or do you want to be a collector? Do you, do you want to do you, do you invest or do you want to play? I, it's a very strange question just because um, if you want to be a straight collector, I don't recommend going after expensive games now because we are sort of at, to me, the high watermark for where a lot of these titles will go. Even the mid-range and even the common games. If a Contra's costing you 35 bucks, and that's a dirt common game, I don't think you should be collecting Color Dinosaur or or, or um, Power Blade 2 going for $300. That's insane to me right. to want to do that. That said, then... Go for whatever you can get a bulk deal on. Go to the flea market garage sales. If you see 50 games for $300, you might as well buy it because it ain't going to get better than that. Right. Even if half those games are only $3 games, maybe the other half are $10 games. Um, if this was five years ago, I would say buy the expensive games first. Yes. Get it out of the way because they're only going to keep going up. Now that they're at that weird high mark, and I think I am seeing a semi-plateau I of those have, high. I, I have, yes. For certain titles, do people realize you can't? You shouldn't be spending a thousand dollars on a loose little Samson, you know? Like, we don't. We're not seeing the <laughs> the geometric or parametric increase in 
prices that we saw two, three years ago. That's sort of slowed down. Things, things, if things are still going upwards, then they might be. They're going up very slowly. Um, and I also think this is psychological, too. Um, you know, if you go for the expensive games first, then in your mind, it's all downhill from there, right? You know, you've got the expensive games, it's easy to finish up everything else. But if you go for the cheap games first, you're going to amass a lot quickly, and then you're going to have to worry about the expensive ones at the end. I agree with Pat. Um, if if prices still looked like they were going to go up exponentially, I would say get the expensive ones now so that you're not paying $1,000 per game later. Um, but I don't think there's any reason uh, to do that. Um, and honestly... I would hope that if you're collecting, you're also doing this to play. You can get a bunch of cheap, fun games to play while you save up your money for your expensive games. Or you can get that flash cart to tide you over for 150 Evil, but I know. If you're playing, but if this is a straight collecting question, honestly, if it's straight collecting, just go for what you can afford and... I would it, Straight wait, collecting? Wait for, wait for a deal on the expensive stuff. If you Take a year, buy cheap shit. If the prices are still going up on the expensive ones buy them. If they start to go down, wait another year. But from what I've seen, we have seen a plateau. Yeah. Maybe not, it hasn't, there hasn't been a crash, but there's always the plateau before decline, for the most part. But uh, we'll see what happens. From at Best Buy Rick One, what was the worst Christmas gift you received as a kid and as an adult? <sighs> It's it's tough because as a kid, I don't actually ever really remember receiving like bad bad Christmas gifts. Oh, I, I did. I, I I well, I mean, okay, so I mean, there was one. I mean, it, a matter of miscommunication. Like I, uh, there was like a, a pair of like we used to do like a, a gift exchange among my family and um, Secret Santa and like uh, like on my mom's side because there's a lot of kids and. Uh, I wanted. I just needed a basic pair of over-the-ear headphones, just not the 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 fuzzy, you know, the the old Walkman-style ones, because I, I I was DJing and I my the ones that I got with my with the turntables that I bought broke. I was fucking fourteen, so I asked for one and like basically, you know, they, they didn't know what I was talking about, and I just got a pair of Walkman headphones. And I was like, mm, thank you, you know, They're not not an awful present, just like miscommunication. As an adult, however. The worst present I got was because it was like it, it was insulting. Um, my ex girlfriend and I lived with our our shared roommate, uh, and she every year would go home for Christmas, and she would ask us to go. And the family was weird, and it was really uncomfortable being there. But we went the uh, like we went twice, and the the second year that we went, um. Her grandmother, who was a mean, just had a mean streak to her. She's a mean lady. Um, handed uh, my ex and I presents, and the present was like dusty, like it was like like literally like like dusty. And I opened it, and it was a chess set. And at first, I was like, "Oh, cool, I like chess." So, like, maybe she knew I liked chess. That's pretty cool. So I open it up, and whoever made the chess set had put doubles of um, 
basically I had two bishops and was missing a knight on one side. So I had, I had three bishops and was missing a knight someone on one side. Someone didn't package it correctly? Yeah, someone didn't package it correctly. <laughs> so I, I looked up the... I looked... I... I, I, I uh, I went to go ask her where she had gotten it from, just so I could like contact the person and be like, "Hey, I, you know, I got a missing piece." Because it was a kind of neat looking chess set, and she was like, "You like chess?" I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "Good, because that's what you got." I was like, "Whoa, okay." So I turned around and just was like, "Fine, fuck it." Closed it up, took it back to our apartment. You know, the next day it was you know drive, and. uh you know, found a, found the card and like the name of the company in there, and looked him up. And the company had closed down <laughs> like ten years prior when I looked into it. So it was just like, it was just like you know, there's probably like a closet with like some gifts or whatever that never got given, or it was regifted or something like that. But it was just like the it was just like the tone in her voice. I was like, this is I I, I threw it out. I was like, this is just fucking. I, I don't want this. <laughs> you okay I'm gonna start with the one I actually feel a bit worse about well, I feel bad about both because when I was a kid okay I'll start with the one when I was older um, my parents notoriously were awful at getting me stuff and once you reach your mid-twenties you know I have a, I had a decent job I can buy whatever I wanted to I was collecting stuff yeah. so what can my parents possibly get me you know my sister was always good at actually buying me cool t-shirts and clothes you know, I was never, you know, even like bombing, like, I don't know, nice, like, Banana Republic, like, long sleeve, sh- nice shirts to wear around. You know, whatever. Stuff that I, I may not have thought about myself. I've got a little bit better fashion sense when I was older, but in my 20s, I struggled a little bit in early 20s, early mid-20s. My mom, though, one year got me a sort of, like, collection, an assortment of flavored popcorn, caramel, like, pure butter, cheese, in these big metal, big metal containers, along with gift certificates to get more from this online store to offer them. Sounds great. Here's the problem. Don't particularly have a fondness for popcorn. Never told my mom I like popcorn. And my mom would never make or buy popcorn for us ever as a kid. So it was sort of those <laughs> weird sort of things where I, I might have taken it too far as re- resented the fact that you really don't n- know me at all. Or why would you get this from me? When she probably just wanted to get, give me something that she saw me at a corner of her eye and said, I want to get this for you. When I looked at it as, I never liked popcorn as a kid. You never made it for me. Why the hell are you getting me popcorn? <laughs> didn't say that to her, but I was, I was thinking the whole time. I was like, Mom, I'm not going to eat this. And I didn't. I think I just gave it to her. Like, I'm not going to eat five pounds of popcorn and then use the $100 voucher or $50 voucher was to get more candy and popcorn. It was just tone deaf. Not necessarily a bad gift, but just tone deaf. Sure. And after that, I basically had to tell my mom, Mom, I, I love you. You give, you put chocolate in my stocking still, which is great. By the way, you can ease off on that too, but that's fine. You know, you get me stuff, you give me gum in my stocking, but don't buy, don't go out on a limb and guess. Just don't guess. Just stop, stop guessing. So that was as an adult. Now, as a child, though, I, it was probably a little less tougher for me. When to was hunt. the popcorn thing? Because I seem to remember you telling me about the I popcorn probably told, thing. I think I was like 25, 26. I know, I know you've 27. told me that story. Before. I told you before because it was so out of left field that I was just like, <laughs> popcorn? Um, when I was a child, I want to say I was 10, my aunt, rest, she rest in peace, she bought me, and I didn't mind getting clothes as a kid. I honestly didn't. Um, not as bad as most kids say, ah, I got clothes. <laughs> but my aunt my aunt, uh, Joe... Got you a bunny suit? 
No. <laughs> but what she did get chubby, chubby, fat, 10-year-old Pat was a blue jogging tracksuit with a red stripe down the side of it. We're talking full, like, um, heavier-than-sweatpants material, like, pants and matching top. You know. It was horrific. Um, I, I didn't know if she was buying it to me as a not-so-subtle hit that I should start jogging and getting my chubby ass in the shape. But it was something that I wouldn't wear now. It's not something any kid wore then. And the look at my face, I still remember the look at my face, like, like, I couldn't even pretend to be happy about it. And it was awkward because everyone knew. But you're 10 years old, you get something like that, it's kind of hard to hide. Like, it was not just, like, disdain, it was shock. And I remember it hanging up in my closet. I don't know if I wore it more than once. Before I, you know, outgrew it within, like, probably two two years, three years. Then the last time I remember coming across it, I was probably three, four, maybe I was 14, four years old. Trying to squeeze my chubby ass into it, have my gut hang out the bottom of it, you know, because the, the track. It was. I I might have a picture of it somewhere. My sister still remembers it to this day. It was awful. Zipper up the front, blue like a red stripe down there and matching down the legs. Really bad gift. <laughs> Speaking of bad gifts, Ian, this is a shocker to you, but I feel like we have to talk about this. Would you please go to the document? This was just a lurid while you were talking. I'm sorry I wasn't paying full, full attention to your story about the worst gifts ever. Because I just added a topic to the bottom after the um, Q&A. Uh, I'll move it up here. I'm sorry, it's, it's down too low. Right under the Q&A, could you please click on that? It is a link to the Retro VGS Facebook page. Oh, man. And we have a breaking announcement to make. This can't wait two weeks, folks. <laughs> this is too important. <laughs> because Retro Video Game Systems Inc. has a new product launched. It is not the Retro VGS anymore. No, it is not. It is the Coleco Chameleon. The Coleco Chameleon is here, folks. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Christmas comes early. It's a ColecoVision in a Jaguar shell, and I'm fucked. What, what is that <laughs> shit is going on? Happy Hanukkah. Merry Kwanzaa. It's back. Oh, man. It's the Atari Jaguar Retro VGSU, new and loved, branded with the ColecoVision font and hologram color rainbow scheme on the controller, on the console. What the fuck is this? Wii U controller, Jaguar shell, ColecoVision games. It even has the silver front. (laughs) It has... (laughs) I can't make this up. They took off the front, like, silver part. You know how in a television, you click a vision of the silver front? Yes. And that's where the four, <laughs> that's where the four controller ports are gone. Gone are the Genesis ports. Okay. And now it's a ColecoVision-esque branded retro VGS. What, what is it? Details are sparse, folks. This is breaking as we record this. Coleco Chameleon is a new cartridge-based gaming system coming from Connecticut Leather... I mean... Man, I bet you that leather company is ready. They're ready. Well, I, 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 you know, I believe they probably just licensed the name and uh, and uh, color scheme and font. Oh, guys, come the fuck on! <laughs> just stop! <laughs> um. Oh my! What the fuck? 
uh, comments on Facebook from Nick Butler. So now it's the sum of three failed systems. The, a Wii U controller, <laughs> Atari Jaguar body, and ClickVision branding. Now it just gets, gets weirder What's and weirder. What's the reply? Kevin Woods, let's just call the monument to compromise and branding favoritism. Uh, it's still so. It still has a lousy Wii U controller, now lacks any nine-pin ports, and is saddled with stupid branding. I had legitimate hopes for this. Why? Why? Holy God. Looking good, but make it a four-player with a Mega Bomberman knockoff, gauntlet spelled wrong, zero tolerance spelled wrong, and have system link for own TV use. That is a fucking magnificent comment. Wait, 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 suffer- what, what, games were spelled wrong? What happened? Uh, looking good, but make it a four-player with a Mega Bomberman knockoff, and okay, OFF. Oh, the, the person spelled it wrong in the comments. Gauntlet, okay. G-O-N-T-L-E-T. Well... Oh my god! Well, th- this is going to be a short topic, just because we don't know what's going on with the uh, updated Kickstarter yet. But this is breaking news, um, and I guess someone said, "Oh, Chameleon," because it's an FPGA. That's actually not bad. It's a hell of a lot better name than the Retro VGS. I'll give it that. Yeah. But to brand it with Coleco makes no sense, just because it's a it's a it's a it's a company that hasn't been has been popular or really mattered in thirty years. You know, what's the last big product Coleco uh, did? A flashback. My Buddy? I mean, what was the last big toy? Did they do My Buddy? I don't even know. Like, you know what I mean? What was the last big thing? Probably, like I said, the Coleco flashback. Woo! Oh, my God. Yeah, the the new website is like, there's no info. There's no info. Just, just a rotating screen of a picture of the controller, the system... Well, I well, I gotta do something with those jaguar shells. I sure hope I can get it in translucent piss yellow. <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll be a nice, nice uh, re, re recharge uh, resurgence of the uh, Atari H form uh, in the in post. Oh please! <laughs> it's been so long since I've had fun with Atari H. I love visiting, <laughs> seeing what they have to say about this bullshit. I bet you they're saying shit right now. Um, what? I don't think it's reached them yet because it literally was tweeted at me like 15, 20 minutes ago. So give it tomorrow, Ian. All right, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll give it a fair shake for now. Okay, I guess I can maybe. We'll, we'll hold it off. We'll hold off until they they redo the Kickstarter before we go all in or not could about they, this. Could they pick a different controller, or did they just already spend too much money on that controller already that they have to use it? It's, it's a four dollar controller that they can they can just put their logo on. I don't know. But what what, what do we know? We're we're drunken. Uh, so we'll we'll come back. To Look you. at all the booze I've swilled today! <laughs> we'll, Holy shit! We'll come back and we'll come back in a couple of weeks. Now we definitely have at least at least we now know how, we're going to talk about something at the end of the year uh, podcast. <laughs> we thought we'll be we thought we wouldn't have many topics, but we'll come back to this. Check it out, folks! It's the Coleco ch- Chameleon. Ian's uh, tapping out on that on that note. Um, <coughs> we have a Patreon. Uh, if you wanna, if you wanna see us talk about uh, breaking news about like the Clico Chameleon, uh, you know, in video form, Patreon.com/slash/PixelSickle. I have a book. Ian, great contributor to it. 150 written reviews, including Mappy Land. He really uh, like that, like that one. He might, he might have overrated uh, Burger Time, but that's another topic. Um, but <laughs> go to go to UltimateNES.com to pre-order. You can pre-order until Tuesday, the 22nd. I might do a live stream that day to sort of tie in with that. Otherwise, I'll be working on my Pat the Indian's Punk Christmas video right before I uh, feast on Italian pastries and Italian goodies for Christmas. So we'll see you near the end of the year. Uh, for Ian Ferguson, I'm Pat Contry. I'm going to go grab some uh, Wendy's drive through again or a burrito. We'll see you next time. Okay.
Coleco Chameleon. That's a Christmas present. 